I was recently interviewed by Jeremiah Roberts and the guys over at the program Cultish on the topic of the World Mission Society Church of God. I know that's a, a big mouthful, but this is the group that I've affectionately called the Mother God Cult. And you should be familiar with this group. In fact, what the whole point of this interview is we've got to get information about this group out there into the public. And so this is it. This is that interview. Actually, two interviews crammed into one giant video. Now, in this particular interview, I'm sharing content I've never shared before. I don't have it in any other videos. And it's content that is partially based on the feedback I've received from former members, people who have been part of the cult group, sometimes for years. And then they've sent me messages and I've dialogued. I've had them on the phone and I've learned from them how to better reach the people in the group, how to better help people who are coming out of the group and how to answer more and more of their, their questions, as well as equipping you to do the same. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube, there will be timestamps available for you to click in the description and in the comment section so you can find your way through the video looking for exactly what you want. And if you're part of the Church of God, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me a chance to have your ear for a moment that you might consider these things. What we care about is the truth. What we care about is knowing the truth, following the truth, and living the truth. Links to Cultish and Apologia Studios down below if you guys are interested in checking them out because they do this kind of thing all the time. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Cultish Entering the Kingdom of the Cults. My name is Jeremiah Roberts. I'm one of the co-hosts here. As always, I've got Andrew, the super sleuth of the show, uh, with us in studio. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. This is a, a very exciting day. Yeah. So we have, uh, we're going to be talking about a cult that... Since we started Cultish, we've got numerous messages uh, to cover it, and uh, it's, we always think whenever we're talking about a specific cult, it'll happen right whenever, precisely when it's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be talking today about the World Mission Society Church of God, and so we're going to introduce our guests in just a moment, but we also have someone else with us in studio today. We have Josh Adent. Uh, tell, them, tell everyone just a little bit about yourself. Hey, so um, I'm a member at Apologia, and I've known Andrew and Jerry for probably about a year and a half now. I was actually one of the people who was bugging Jerry about doing this one um, <laughs> in person in his small group. Yes, I was one of them. And uh, so my, my wife and I moved to town about a year and a half ago so that I could study at Phoenix Seminary. So hey to all of you fellow seminary students out there. Yep. And so, and specifically, you've had a lot of... Uh, not, you've done a lot of theological studies, but uh, specifically both uh, Andrew has, but also you have had some extensive interactions with people from the World Mission Society Church of God. And you can you'd attest, too, that usually the, it's a pretty fiery conversation. They're pretty intense, right? Oh, it can definitely get fiery. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the case with you, with you, Andrew? Oh yeah, it was. It was pretty intense. Okay, yeah, I'm just saying that because when we uh, posted on our social media, both uh, just a little while ago, but also a couple of weeks ago, it was right, almost yeah. It was when we first initially posted about it. We had a lot of people, most of the people commenting, were talking about some sort of interaction that they had, including here the audio of these two uh, college girls who interviewed in this uh, news clip here. So. All that being said, we have a guest with us today. Um, he is uh, Mike Winger. Uh, he is uh, he's got a YouTube channel, Bible Thinker. He's got a lot of great content. Uh, definitely check out the YouTube channel. Uh, Mike, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. <clears throat> it's really good. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. I'm doing good. It's good to see see you guys. 
digitally, I guess. And yes. it's good to be with you, even though we originally were going to do this in person. Um, this is a lot more convenient for me. Thanks yes. to the coronavirus. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. This is uh, this is uh, we've changed from all these in-person meetings to everyone's on almost everyone's doing Zoom for almost everything. So praise God for technology. Yes, it is pretty yeah. cool to see where things are at. So, yeah, man, just uh, tell them just real quickly, just a little bit about yourself, your YouTube channel and how and you because I know that when I started looking into myself about what is out there when it comes to the, the World Mission Society Church of God cult. There, there isn't really a lot of content, at least a Christian, a good Christian apologetic content. And that's where I came about your videos. But just tell everyone, how did you get into apologetics? Or tell, how did you get into your YouTube channel? And then tell them about what made you pay attention to the World Missing Society Church of God and start doing that on your YouTube channel. Yeah, well, I mean, the basic idea of my YouTube channel is uh, learning to think biblically about everything. And I cover topics of theology, apologetics, and I usually like to go a layer deeper than what you can usually find. Uh, at least that's my goal. That's my agenda. Study a little bit more in detail and then bring that detail out in the studies. And so I do verse by verse teaching and I do topical stuff as well, including things like cult groups and um, atheism and, you know, different stuff, historical issues about Christianity, all that kind of stuff. Uh, my main concern for my channel is trying to actually be biblical about things. A lot of guys mm -hmm. who do apologetics stuff, they, in all honesty, they, they just get a little disconnected from sort of that verse by verse mentality of mm -hmm. understanding the text and context. Everything's more about, I mean, I have, I'm having a battle and I'm going to approach the, the scripture with looking for tools for that battle. Mm. Uh, but I, but I want to make sure to have that, <clears throat> that holistic approach of understanding all of what the Bible is actually saying about things. Um, and the Lord's really blessed it. Um, I do these long videos where I teach all kinds of stuff in detail and, and I now have 138,000 subscribers, I think right now. And awesome, it's man. just blowing my mind. I mean, I'm just mm -hmm. a, a pastor in Southern California who just, I, I can't believe the reach that it has. And so I just want to be faithful with it. Try to do as much as I can for the kingdom, you know? Mm-hmm. Praise God, man. Yeah, like I've listened to quite a bit of your content and I love it because you care about the person's soul that you're talking to, you know, like you just said with the holistic approach that you you would ta you take when actually addressing these issues. So I, I appreciate you and I appreciate your uh, ministry, Pastor Mike, for cool. sure. Thank you. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm humbled by it. I, I don't deserve to have the voice that I've got right now, but mm -hmm. I hope I can use it well uh, and the Lord would bless it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, man, definitely. Um, so just tell us real quickly. So you, you've mentioned that you, you did a lot of the different apologetic content and definitely check out his uh, YouTube channel at Bible Thinker. Um, but when it comes to the World Missing Society Church of God, what? how did you initially find out about them? Because you said you haven't had personal interactions with them, but explain what was the context that led you up to even making those videos to begin with that when people go into, onto your YouTube channel that now have gotten tons of views on the World Missing Society Church of God. Yeah. Well, um, let me let me just tell you how it happened to me. I actually had a student who came up to me after a, after an encounter with the World Mission Society Church of God with some of their preachers. Mm. And they came up to them and said, hey, have you heard of Mother God? Have you heard of God the Mother? And then they brought him through this quickly, you know, just this drive by shooting of verses out of context. And then they totally tripped him up. And he came to me and he was like, I don't you know, he was just tripping out. He wasn't believing what they said, but he was like scared that they were right. And what tripped me out was how bad their um, their Bible verses were for proving their points, but also how effective it seemed to be. Mm. Now, I had another student come to me with the same thing and, and the same scenario like a year later. And, and he's very worried and concerned. And I'm thinking, 
what what is going on with this group? So I decided to look into it. And as I look into it, I find that that they will talk about who what they believe and who they are and all that. But what I find is that there's like almost no resources online dealing with this group. I mean, if you type in Mormonism, you know, you've got tons of great resources online. Jehovah's Witnesses, tons of great resources. But World Mission Society, Church of God, it was like this vacuum where there was very little, especially, <clears throat> especially, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, there was just very little out there. And they're growing. Um, in 2010, they claimed that they had uh, 1,900 churches, 1,900 churches, but currently they claim they have over 8,000. Wow. And they mm. say they've got 2.7 million registered members. And they've got a foothold in the U.S. They're on colleges near you. And they, they go under the names like Seven Thunders or A-S-E-Z, A-Says, and they pretend they're just like a community service program mm -hmm. <laughs> to try to disguise what they're really doing. And there's there's um, there's just like these real strong movement on campuses um, they're in LA. They have a location here in LA. They've, they probably have one near you guys. I'm not sure. I didn't look into that, but they're very aggressive. And this seemed to me like the perfect time to target a cult group while they're young, while they're still relatively small and there's very little resources out there. Mm. We could have a huge impact if we just get this content out and get it out as quickly as possible. So I, I made my first video. I'll tell you real quick. My first video it, it, it did really well. It Within a very short period of time, a few days, it had, and this, my channel was smaller back then, but it had 10,000 views and people were leaving the church within days of me making this video. Mm, wow. And one lady, she was asked uh, by her fellow Church of God members, they call it the Church of God, that um, they asked her, why did, why did you leave? What happened? And they And she sent them my video. And in response, they filed this complaints against YouTube and have my video taken down. <laughs> And so it was only out for a few days and then the video was taken down and I couldn't, I couldn't fight it, just the dynamics and the politics of YouTube. So I made three more videos <laughs> this time, this time I made videos they couldn't take down because they didn't use any of their footage or any of their content. Mm. And the first one I made has got over a hundred thousand views and the other ones have good views as well. And the, the, a lot of people have left the group, thank God, yeah. through this. The feed, feedback's been really great. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, that when I was doing the research myself and I was kind of looking up some of their sermons and anything that was theirs they had in caps all over this is ours this is our property like do not use <laughs> yeah, so i was i was thinking in conjunction to the thing you said in your original video i was like i wonder how much influence mike had on this <laughs> <laughs> they were already like that they they sue everybody oh, and wow. everybody knows it it's mm. and i had been warned when i first started covering them that they would come after me and so i just try to be very careful now because mm. um i don't i don't want that content to be taken yeah. down you know one of the things i really loved about your video when you put it out is the awesome pictures that you put on there, Mike, like the squirrel that made me laugh so much. <laughs> yeah, that was my tongue in cheek. I couldn't play footage from their video. I couldn't put up screenshots from their website. Like I didn't want to take any chances. So I just put up like a picture of a squirrel or my cat. Yeah. And, um, Mox in a that box. Was, that's is my that dorky sense of humor. Yeah. And if and people <laughs> are wondering like, well, well, what's the, well, like, what's that all about? Like, what is that? I'm like, well, go check out the videos that there's a soft plug right there. Subtle for your, to check out your content, <laughs> Bible thinker. Um, but it's really cool, man. I, I definitely agree with you as far as, um, you know, a cult in its infancy, because a lot of times, if you look at specifically, a lot of the major cults that we're dealing with today started around the 1800s. When you look at, uh, Christian science, uh, Mormonism, even in even in the most even in the last century, you had Scientology uh, come come to rise up. And besides from like Walter Martin, there there really were not any real definitive Christian apologetics for how to answer these people. And they would you know you think about what's going on right now in the world to get you as prior to you know you're in California and that around the L.A. area and 
things especially both in, are crazy in California, but really all over the world right now. But specifically, it's the times like these of uncertainty is when cults will just jump in to recruit like crazy. And mm. that's something you also have to do. But you know, one of the yeah. things you mentioned about not having resources is that um, or just working with just you're having to collect the materials yourself so one of uh walter martin's messages we played in one of our earlier uh series uh it was like interim episode called walter martin the baptism of boldness if you guys haven't checked that episode listen to it but one of the things that walter martin says is he said you know i literally for my first book i lo- i went to do a bibliography my bibliography didn't didn't exist he goes, I had to go into a whole room, like all these cultic headquarters, and literally collect the materials for myself. And so he had to go and like find everything and pull it out. Mm-hmm. So with, and that's something similar to you did. So just real quickly, but you did a lot of research into this. I saw a post that you did where you had just a, a couple of different books that were somewhat original resources. So in some ways, you, some ways, you kind of emulated one of my heroes of the faith, Walter Martin, with what he did. I love that. But Talk about just some of the books and resources that was in that post, and we'll post this on our social media when these episodes come out, about what you kind of delve into, not only for this episode, but your original videos. Tell us about those resources you've pulled into. Well, we'll we'll talk more about this a a little bit later when we talk about information control, Uh but... But the group does not let anybody outside the group have their books, and they work really hard to make sure you can't get them. Even if they do go on sale online, they will buy them up to Mm. keep you from getting them. So... What I do have, though, through through people who've left the group mostly, who've just given me their books, um, I've got six of their books right here, and I'm not supposed to have these. Like, I've been cursed by members of the group just for owning these books. Like, mm. literally, they, they send me curses. Mm. And um, these books um, inc- include... I mean, they're they're tough to read. It's difficult stuff. It's confusing, but it's all of the same vein. You start to realize how the people in the group are thinking because they're being trained with these books. They call them the truth books. Mm. And... Uh, this one in particular, the, the, they call the Green Book. This one's written actually um, by An Song Hong, the, the founder of the group itself. This stuff is it's remarkable. I mean, you could see that the original owner of the book that she had all her notes. They study these things religiously. I mean, this is all they do all day long. Well, what I had to do was try to figure out what this group really taught. I mean, I know they had accusations that they were sex traffickers and stuff like that. <clears throat> you have to figure out what's really true about them versus right. what's what's just, you know, leading in the news. And, and so, um, that was part of the, the homework was to make sure that when I talk about the, the church of God, I speak about it in a way that the members go, yeah, that's right. That is what we believe. That is, that is what we think. Right. Otherwise all my efforts are in vain. I'm training people to just build a straw man. Mm. So yeah, I've worked at trying to, to get these books and these resources and I want to get more. And, uh, my, my, um, I'm going to give my address a little bit later. If anybody has books you want to send, I'll share my address for you guys to send it to me, uh, P.O. Box, because we really want to keep collecting these. I, I, I'm in contact with a few other people who are also working to create resources about this group. So, Okay. You know. Would it be fair to say, like, uh, as Christians, we would say the Bible is our objective standard, right? It's the Word of God. Would it be fair to say for um, people that are part of Wimscog, just real quickly, mm-hmm. like some of these books that you have, this would be uh, some type of standard that they would derive from on Song Hong. It's almost essentially scripture to them? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it essentially is scripture. Then the, the truth books, the specific ones called the truth books are essentially scripture. Then they have sermon books that are like a step down from that, but they're still carry the authority of the current prophet of the church. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, it's, it's not like a pastoral commentary or something like that. It's way beyond that. Yeah. Okay. Right. 
Um, so yeah, so what I were curious to hear about, so a lot of people have had these encounters. You, like I said, you, uh, both of you guys have had, you, Josh, and uh, you, Andrew, you've had encounters with them. And lots of our listening audience have also had encounters with them as well, too. And so um, a lot of us, a lot of times when, we, when we're dealing with a new cult, we, we like to kind of do a little bit of origins. Okay, where did this all start at? Right. So these people, there's an origin story to these people who go to the targets and Walmarts and shopping malls and have these encounters talking about God, the mother. So I one one thing I want to do. So, Mike, we're going to have you kind of given a sort of like an overview of this, the little bit of the history behind this group and how they started. But mm-hmm. one of the things you'll see, too, uh, this, we're kind of this is the first time we're delving into this cult. And while some of you may be new, be new to understanding this cult is that. There are definitive traits that you will always see, always definitive characteristics, right? So you'll have, typically you'll have someone who's somewhat of an authoritarian figure. Uh, they could be charismatic. And, but when you talk about theologically, it all, they always have some sort of authority where they put themselves above the Bible because they had some sort of private revelation where essentially there's lost and hidden knowledge. Well, let's just say the truth was there around the first century, but then it got lost at Nicaea, <laughs> right? So, and again, you get like, it's almost like a fill in the blanks cookie cutters. Like you could just swap and mm-hmm. replace it back and forth. You'll see it with Mormonism. You see the same claims made with Christian science. So you'll see these characteristics. So Mike, I already know that as you explain this, there's things that you will hear that will line up, for example, with Mormonism. Uh, things that line up with Scientology, those sort of characteristics. So I just want the listening audience to be aware of, wary of that as you uh, kind of listen to the origin story. But a lot of people kind of want to know about that. So tell us where where did this all start at? Because I know it was based it was based in Korea, and there was some influence on Seventh Day Adventism. Kind of had some sort of uh, undue influence on the beginning of the group. So take us back as far as you can to the very beginning. Let us know how how this craziness all started. All right. Well, in the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, there was a man named An Song Hong. And An Song Hong, uh, he was born in 1918, and he is the central figure of this group. Uh, he's the fountainhead of all of it, although the group has changed a lot since he was alive. Uh, he was a Buddhist. He was born in 1918. So he's born to non-Christian parents. He was a Buddhist. But in 1946, he was attending the SDA church, mm. Seventh-day Adventist. He was actually baptized by them. So he was baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist church, which implies that his theology was originally Seventh-day Adventist theology. Later, it totally changes. Um, In 1958, he gets married. April 5th, 1958, he marries someone. And here's something the members of the Church of God won't know. His wife's name was Hoang Wan Soon. And she stayed his wife. They never got divorced. Um, She passed away in 2008. On his tombstone are the names of his wife and his three children. So that this is important because we realize that that they've been taught different things about An Song Hong than the actual history. Now, in 1962, so just remember that he was married. Um, in 1962, he was kicked out of the SDA church. He was actually excommunicated from the church. That's really important to remember the date, 1962. This is important for later on. Mm. And he founded the Witnesses of Jesus Church of God in 1964. That was the name of the church. The church cha- has changed names a lot of times uh, over the years. And so the current iteration of it is the World Mission Society Church of God. But when he first started his group, it was Witnesses of Jesus Church of God in 1964. At some point, he took a mistress and her name was Zengil Ja. Zengil Ja is still alive today. That is the Mother God character. But she wasn't Mother God yet. She was just his mistress, apparently. And he taught, here's some of the distinctives he taught uh, after he had been kicked out of the SDA church. 
he taught that Sunday worship is pagan and you have to worship on Saturday. Well, that mm. was actually part of the SDA stuff that he learned, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also taught crosses are pagan, Christmas is pagan, Easter is pagan, and basically every Christian in the world except for his group is pagan. That's a really significant part. Like cults, you know, generally do this. They say we're the only ones that have the true gospel. Right. It's just our little tiny group. Um, he also taught other things that didn't trace back to the SDA. He taught that we were originally angels in heaven who sinned. Some of us intentionally, some of us unintentionally, but we all sinned and we came down to earth. And that's, we just don't have a memory of our pre-existence. He also said he taught the Trinity, but in reality, he taught modalism. So he would call it the Trinity. He'd use the word Trinity, but then he would describe modalism. That, that is the father becomes the son who becomes the Holy Spirit. Mm. So one person, one being. And um, <clears throat> he seemed to think he was Elijah. Now, this is a little unclear. As you read his original writings, he strongly implies he's Elijah and that he is the second, the last coming of Elijah before the second coming of Christ. He really strongly implies this. It's in his writings, especially especially in the Green Book. Um, but but it's it's especially the original version of the Green Book, which we'll talk about later. And on his tombstone, even to this day, it actually says uh, on Song Hong, Elijah. So they even had written on his tombstone that he was Elijah. This is not, however, uh, consistent with the current theology of the church, at least not the way they want it to be. Mm. He taught that Jesus was coming back right away, but that this coming, <clears throat> it would start with a secret coming. And Jesus was going to was going to minister 37 years on earth in a secret fashion where, you know, people wouldn't see him. They wouldn't really know about him. Only like the sort of select Gnostic informed few <laughs> would be aware mm. of, of Jesus and his secret coming. Then the end was going to come. He also taught that he had restored Passover and that you can't be saved unless you observe Passover on the 14th day of the first month, according to the sacred calendar. Mm -hmm. And he would calculate when he thought that should be. And they would do it at twilight in the evening. That's an important thing for them, because if you don't do that, you're not saved. So Mm -hmm. it's a once a year special Passover ceremony that they do. He also taught, and this is not as widely known, that the end of the world was going to happen in 1988, that him and the believers with him would not die, but they would be transformed at that time. We'll talk more about that a little bit later because mm-hmm. that's problematic for the group. Uh, however, here's what happened with On Song Hong, and here's where everything shifted, and, and the whole group it was one group split up into like three groups, actually, two that we'll talk about. He died in 1985 unexpectedly. On February 24th, he had a heart attack. Um, he, then he had a stroke, and then he died the next day, February 25th. And this was a total shocker that he didn't have health problems, that they, they didn't expect this to happen ahead of time. What happened in the wake of his death is there was this fighting for control of the cult. And it's split into two groups. And we do want to know about these two groups to understand the modern group today. Mm-hmm. One group is the NCPCOG. That stands for New Covenant Passover Church of God. That's where his wife and his three kids all went to be part of that group. And they claim to this day, even on their websites, they claim that they are the original, you know, have the original teachings of Song Hong, and they publish it and they make it all available for free online. But it's mostly in Korean. Mm. Then the other group split off called the World Mission Society Church of God. That's the group that's been growing. That's the group that's evangelizing on campuses. This is the group that we're very concerned about today. And this is led by a man named Ju Chil Kim, who is their current prophet. And and then you have Zeng Gilja, which was his mistress in real life. Now they're claiming that she is God the mother and that you have to believe in her and worship her in order to be saved. So let me give you a really brief overview, if I can, of the new group that we're concerned about today, the World Mission Society Church of God. They now teach that An Song Hong 
is the second coming of Christ. Not just Elijah, he's Jesus come back. Mm. Now they will say he's also Elijah. That's, but I think that's a relic, like a vestige of the fact that they're taking his teachings and evolving them into something that it, it, he wasn't originally teaching. So now he's actually Christ. Um, he's second coming Christ. They also teach he's the Father and the Holy Spirit because they have the whole modalism thing going on. They teach that he restored Passover, which is required for salvation. They add on to that that you have to tithe. You have to go to church a lot. You have to have the seven feasts and you have to preach a lot. You have to do a whole bunch of those things in order to be saved. Um, you have to like, for instance, you have to be in the building of the of the physical church. They call the Zion, the local church. You have to be in that building on mm -hmm. on the Sabbath or else you could just be killed by going outside. Mm. It's yeah. pretty extreme stuff. Um, Mike, um, can I ask you just something? Let me ask you something that just kind of caught my attention. So, yeah, we we've had episodes too on uh, one is the UPCI, or a lot of times they're known as Oneist uh, Apostolic Pentecostals, and so they they're modalistic too in their views of the tri the Trinity, uh, mm -hmm. and they reject that. So, there's actually a really famous debate online. It if you look it up, it's Walter Martin and um, uh, Calvin. Calvin, Calvin Beisner. Calvin Beisner debating two guys from the UPCI. And so they're debating the doctrine of the, of the Trinity versus one modalism. And with them is that they're making the same theological assumptions that the Father is the Son and they basically that they will go into a, like God the Father will go into a closet, put on a mask, become the Son, and then become the Holy Spirit, so forth and so on. Mm. What is... It's similar, but what, what, make, what makes it unique, though, is that they, they have a modalistic view but they're tying it into a their modern leader, so it's not. So with someone who's one as apostolic, they're looking in the past and they're reinterpreting the incarnation, like who Jesus was, what was his nature. He wasn't really fully God or fully man. He's the Father who became the Son. They're sort of dealing with it in the past via the testimony of of the Gospels and the testimony of Scripture. But it, with here, and you can you can elaborate on this, Mike. It seems to be. They're making those modalistic assumptions, but they're doing it with their uh, current leader, at least at that time, or or currently. Does that make sense? What I'm saying is that do you, yeah. is that what they're is that what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, I guess the way that I I categorize it in my head is I think of it as two just unrelated heresies that have mm. been combined. Yeah, one heresy is the modalism. The other heresy is that this guy on Song Hong is actually Jesus's secret second coming, and so the the modalism causes them to say <clears throat> that he's they even call him father on song home you know and they'll pray to him and pray in his name and baptize in his name um and and it gets really muddy because they also say i mean it's very confusing they, they'll say that um you know there's the age of the father that's the old testament the age of the son this is their theology not mine <laughs> that is that is the new testament time period and then there's the age of the holy spirit which we know we're looking at pentecost right but they say this age of the holy spirit is when on song home comes mm -hmm. Yet he's he's Jesus's second coming. Yet he's the Holy Spirit. Yet they call him Father. So it's just that it's all fuzzy and confused. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, Josh, did you have a question? Yeah, I did. Um, cause if I remember correctly, listening to some of your videos, Mike, it seemed like there was kind of a delineation made between Christ and Jesus in in the World Mission Society Church of God. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, the only real difference between Jesus and and, and Christ is that I think that they say that Jesus is his name in his second coming, but on song Hong is his name. I'm sorry, in his first coming, but on song Hong is his name in his second coming. So they're, they're both Christ and they're the same Christ, but there's two different names here. Hmm. And on song Hong is seen as the, the name of the Holy spirit. 
because it's the age of the Holy Spirit. I know this sounds muddled, but it is muddled. It, it's, a, right. it's a theology that developed sort of haphazardly mm -hmm. uh, over time. And so, yeah, <clears throat> Jesus is the name of the Son. An Song Hong is the name of the Holy Spirit, which is the second coming Christ. Right. So, so with good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think this is this is one of the things that that kind of interests me specifically talking about the theology of Jesus. Right. Um, it at this point, what do they do? You know, with a verse like in Colossians two nine, and if you want to talk about this later, let's just talk about it later. Um, which says that in Him, in Christ Jesus, which is specifically said in. Colossians 2 6 the fullness of deity dwells bodily so what what do they do with that when Jesus wasn't on earth and then now he inherit like he, he inhabits a body again <clears throat> yeah I I asked about that I tried to press a, a former member we had who'd been a member for years and years and years and I asked him like what about the body of Jesus like Jesus comes back in a new body a different body as Christ on Song Hong in their theology. Mm -hmm. What happened to Jesus's original body? And then they, and now here's where you have to understand the power of ad hoc improvisational theology. <laughs> it's, I just make something up on the spot to rescue my bad theology. Mm. It doesn't arise from the scripture. It doesn't arise from good theology. It's just made up. So the, the ad hoc quick reaction is, oh, well, God's omnipresent. So maybe he's got two bodies. Yeah. Yeah, and and what you see, and what you'll see too, is a lot of times this is definitive cults too when they're when they're trained and taught how to argue their points, whether it be uh, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, or uh, World Mission Society, Church of God members, is that you're not taught to do chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and exegete out from the biblical text to understand what does the Bible actually say about this. So when I went to high school, Mike, it was uh, it was here in Arizona where I live, and the school is 98% Mormon. So all of my friends, they would go across the street to their seminary training, and they would have what are called scripture mastery cards. And all they were is probably about, I would think they had maybe 20 to 25 of these cards, but they're all just passages they are supposed to memorize all separate from each other and all sort of in isolation from the original context of the passage to prove a doctrinal point. So mm -hmm. that's one of the things you'll observe as well, too, in that we'll definitely we'll definitely jump into some of the ways about how to deal with that in part two. But Yeah, we will. And yeah. I just want to say the point you're making is so valuable. Yes. They've 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 been taught to mishandle the text of scripture. And in many cases, people that are involved in cults, that's the only way they know how to read the Bible. They don't know even know how to look at a verse and then back up and, and examine the context. Mm -hmm. And that simple little, you know, trick of reading the whole chapter, you know, or the whole book, um, just rescues people from many of the grips mm -hmm. of these cults. Yeah. And just one thing too, we're going to, we're in part two, we're, we're going, we're going over the history and some of the psychological different aspects, uh, both theologically that would define the world missing society as a, as a cult. Then we're going to go to go into some of the, uh, Stephen Hassan's bite model, which is, uh, he's the author of combating cult mind control. He's a well-known cult expert. We'll talk about that as well too. But a lot of times I'll just comment real quickly and then you can kind of go back into the history, Mike, is that when you're hearing sometimes the complex theology, People sometimes, Christians will get overwhelmed about, okay, well, how do I learn all about their theology? But the reality is that a lot of times you don't need to get so, you don't so much to be, you need to become an expert on the world, yeah. Mr. Society, Church of God. 
as you are, you need to become an expert on your own Bible. Yep. And Walter Martin would say this too in one of his quotes. In fact, on your videos, Mike, you I saw in your background, you had Kingdom of the Cults in your library. And I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um, one of the things that Walter Martin said is that um, he said, I urge you not to become an expert on all the cults. Become an expert. Become familiar with who the person of Jesus Christ is. And you'll never be deceived by anyone as the people who are unfamiliar are the ones who get sucked into the cults. So become familiar with the basic fundamental foundations of who God is, who Jesus is, how are you saved, what does scriptures come about him. And then when you start hearing something like this, this muddled theology, this is this is one of the first times I've really heard you explain this to me, Mike. But mm -hmm. I know it's muffled and I know it's bad, not because in any way I'm not an expert on this at all. That's why I'm having you on. But yeah. Debate my theology of, of who Jesus is. I already have a foundation of that, so it's almost you know, you're you're I'm familiar with the original. And now I'm sort of running a counterfeit bill through my hands, mm -hmm. and now it sticks out like a sore thumb. So I'll make that point, and you can uh, and I'll let you jump back into it, Mike. Unless there's anything you want to say in regards to that. No, I, I just think, yeah, amen to that. You know, you don't think you have to know all the stuff that I'm about to share in order to have a conversation with these people. It The knowledge does help. It increases our ability to communicate. It also helps us understand where they're coming from, which is really great for reaching out to them. Um, but, okay, where I was at in my kind of review of the my brief overview of the current teachings of the Church of God mm -hmm. is, um, let's see, uh, Zen Gilja. So, Mother God. There is a God, the mother now. Uh, this was not something that An Song Hong taught. Uh, he did not teach it. He didn't think it. He actually taught against it. We'll get into that a little bit later. And it's now taught uh, Ju Chiu Kim in his book, God, God, the Father and God, the Mother, which I do have here, that particular book. He says this on page 185. Without mother, there is no eternal life. Without mother, there is no truth. Those who do not believe in mother can't receive the promise of eternal life and the kingdom of heaven. And let me add more weight to this on one of their hymns that they sing. They have like official church hymns and songs. And in their new song book, it's hymn number 145. It's called He Has Saved Me. But when you read the, the text, it's not what you think it is, right? It's a, the, the text of the song says this, even by the name of Jehovah, by the name of Jesus, oh, I could not be saved. Then it goes on to say this, on song hong, he has saved me. And new Jerusalem, mother of love, she has saved me. Wow. So this stuff is pretty, pretty trippy. Now, what they had to do is they've actually had, and we'll talk more about this later if, you, if, if we have time. Yeah. Um, they had to actually change on Song Hong's teachings. So the World Mission Society Church of God has to very carefully control which of his teachings they see. They take books, they edit them, they change them in order to support their mother God theology that he didn't have originally. Uh, that wasn't, he wasn't interested in the mother God thing. He just was focused on the supposed sudden return of Christ that he was talking about. Now, there's actually a handwritten explanation of how On Song Hong, from On uh, Song Hong's own handwriting that's on a website. I'll, say, I'll give you guys a link for it and you can maybe share it in your, your, your notes. But it's in Korean. But I have had it translated. I, I got a translator to translate this for me. And he translated in the name of the Holy Father, the Holy Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. He baptized in that name. They baptize in the name of On Song Hong now. Mm -hmm. And you have to be baptized in his name. Yet On Song Hong baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So this is a pretty significant difference, yeah. Um, so there, there's like a brief overview of it. Mm. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that uh, as far as, uh, you know, the being baptized in the name of Aung San Hong, and, and this is part of the uh, behavior control as far as, you know, thought indoctrination, you, you, and we'll, we'll get into that. In fact, I'm jumping ahead here, but just jump back. It's kind of interesting, though, and you mentioned that almost in that hymn, you almost see where we're kind of jumping into 
almost almost in that hymn, a characteristic a cult has where they sort of say one thing, but it isn't until later on till they introduce you to the deeper doctrines. So it's just kind of interesting that they said it was, uh, what was the title of that hymn you said? He Has Saved Me. He Has Saved Me. But then it ends up a couple of verses or stanzas into it where it sort of mentions that it's really God the Mother who's, or she saved me. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, very telling part and parcel. So, so when we, just to, that's the basic foundation. So we're looking at the theology. Uh, I'll let you jump in here, Andrew. We're, we're talking about um, this is this is a, it would the World Mission Society Church of God would fall under the a counter would fall under a cult just because if you look at the terms as far as it being counterfeit Christianity, it borrows from Christian terminology. It pays lip service to the basic fundamental orthodox christianity but it denies its fundamental tenets so it's when you say and this is really this is an example of any cultist you you mentioned god jesus salvation you say any of those words there's a language barrier and that's one of the things that walter martin always talked about scaling that language barrier Mm -hmm. and we'll we'll definitely jump into that more as we go on andrew what do you want to say here yeah pastor mike i was wondering if you could talk about uh this real quick because we you briefly had discussed uh god the mother and like there's a there's a developing of this idea right like this isn't the first time uh that this was heard about like uh on wrote a book himself right refuting the idea of mother god in 1980 but this is one of the books that is actually taken out of circulation and Wimscog doesn't want their their finders to their, well, their members to actually read this book. Correct? Like there was a scandal uh, earlier in the church where there was a woman uh, claiming that she found a note in a uh, on Song Hong's like like bag talking about God the Mother. But he actually refuted the idea, right? Just like he never claimed to be Christ. Instead, on his gravestone, it says the the prophet Elijah. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah, this is so huge. And so I will give you guys a link that you can share with people where you can read an English translation of On Song Hong's book. It's called The New Jerusalem and the Bride Interpretation on Women's Veil. That's the English title from the from the Korean. It was published in 1980. A few years later, the World Mission Society Church of God, they collected the books and will not let anybody read them. But mm-hmm. remember, they split into two groups, the NCP group, the smaller group that isn't really viral at all. <laughs> they publish it on their website and you can read it for free. Let me read to you some sections from this book. This is what On Song Hong himself actually taught about the, the idea of God the Mother. And I'll just preface it with this. There was a woman named Um Suin. Um Suin is the one you talked about. She started proclaiming she was God the Mother. And she says that she got this teaching from some secret teachings of On Song Hong. So he confronts it in 1980 with the following. This is from the preface of the book. He says, and I quote, this booklet was published to prevent troublemakers who misinterpret and behave fanatically, explain the errors in the books that Um Suin published, and testify of the unchanging truth of the church of our God. Un- no, so Un Song Hong, their, their central character, he thinks that this is an unchanging truth. Of course, World Mission Society Church of God has withheld this. They've changed it. In chapter 7, he says this. Um, this is a chapter called The Jerusalem in Heaven in Our Mother. Um Suin has then become the mother of Christ as well as the bride wife of Christ. How extremely scandalous is this? With this type of misguided delusion, she's become a false prophet and has attempted to gain power. Please think of what will become of her sin and the sin of those who follow after her. Now, on in chapter eight, uh, on uh, the chapter called New Jerusalem is Real and Material. It's literally saying New Jerusalem is not a, a, a female deity. He says this, the new Jerusalem, which is written of in Revelation 21, one through four, the tabernacle of God abides with human beings. However, this tabernacle is a spiritual building, not 
a person. And that's key to the Church of God now. They believe that she is the New Jerusalem, she is the Mother God, and that's their proof text is Revelation 21. In chapter 11, he says the following. However, Umsuin is stating that the new heaven and new earth is here now, and the new Jerusalem is living now on this earth. Nobody except someone who is not in their right state of mind can believe and follow after this. Please think of this carefully. Now, here's here's a clincher for us, because Zheng Gilja, she was actually alive when he wrote this in 1980. Hmm. And he says nobody should who is in their right mind can believe that New Jerusalem is living now on the earth. Nobody can believe that. But yet she was alive on the earth at the time. Uh, one last quote from this book, uh, chapter 17. He's, it's uh, it's about a curse. <laughs> and so it says, Um Suin claims that she is the only bride, the new heavens and the new Jerusalem. Through this, she becomes a queen and receives tithes that should be given to Melchizedek. That's part of his theology. She raises herself up as if she is greater than God. How arrogant and insolent an act is this? How long will God be patient with her? Again, it's out of print. It was collected by the group and they will not let their members see it. However, the rival group, New Covenant Passover, they realized that An Song Hong never taught this and they're trying to be faithful to his teachings, wrong as they were, and they publish it uh, freely online. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. And again, this is uh, the things you're saying is very good and very informative, especially for people uh, getting a good overview. And they can also check out the, you also talk more a lot about a lot of these things too on your videos too, on your YouTube channel over at Bible Thinker. But, um, even some of the things you're saying too are falling in conjunction because, like I said, we already talked about it. How it fall as a theological cult? It, it, it like I said, it, denying the fundamental tenets of basic Christianity and mm-hmm. having, but coming out across as a counterfeit. But there's also definitive cultic characteristics. And here's one for example. You said you you, you have someone who had uh, started on a on an authoritative private revelation, but then he passed away. And then there's always this changing and progression. There's things that are supposed to be eternal and unchanging law, but now all of a sudden that goes and, and changes. Or they want a lot of times they'll do that. They'll make those changes, or say they'll they'll try and whitewash their history, or just to make these people almost really flawless and presentable. And I always find that amusing, especially in contrast. If you look at the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you had people like Moses or people like Abraham just doing the dumbest stuff. Um, you know, you look at that, what was the story about? And he says, oh, tell, tell Pharaoh that she's my, that, uh, Aaron, that she's my sister and completely chickens out. You have Moses who gets angry at God and he like breaks the staff up against when the water's coming out and then he's not able to go to the promised land. And so you just have these people who are flawed and those things are out in the open. I always find that contrast in contrast when they try and make these cult leaders, these wonderful and holy and flawless people. Mm. Um, but so then I want to talk just real quickly about, then this is something that a lot of, there's a lot of content, video contents. They'll talk about these categories, um, other videos, what you would call them, secular, non-Christian views of the World Mission Society Church of God and calling it a cult. And they'll talk about these characteristics, but I don't think unless you really have a tr- embrace a true Christian worldview, you can't even give an accounting for why these things would be wrong. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, Mike, um, so Steve Hassan, he wrote a couple of excellent books. He uh, wrote a book called Freedom of Mind, and he also wrote a book called Combating Cult Mind Control. And so he had a unique uh, story. For anyone who don't know who he is, he got indoctrinated into the Moonies in college, and it was just a, a quick retreat, and he ended up getting became a Moonie for two years, got out of the cult, and then he really almost became a completely different person by their indoctrination. So, But he gave kind of like a bite model, which explains 
very loosely a lot of the characteristics of cults. And so I'll just kind of label what they are. And then, Mike, you can, you've kind of addressed this before already with some of the things about them. But BITE stands for uh, four different characteristics. Uh, behavior control, uh, information control. You mentioned that a little bit in regards to the books. Uh, emotional control and thought control. So just in your time researching it and also from the times you've talked with ex-members and things like that, give some examples of how you think the World Mission Society Church of God would fall into the bite model category with any of those four characteristics. Yeah, and, and I do have new information on this stuff because I, since I've last made videos on these, on these issues on this group, I have spoken with more former members. Oh, and wow. some of this stuff like behavioral control, you don't get that in the writings. The writings aren't going to tell you how do we treat people when they don't obey us. Like it doesn't say that. And so you have to talk to people to find this stuff out. So um, here are some areas where they have behavioral control. For One, it's time. Um, the amount of time that you have to be spending at Zion, they call it the Zion, their lo- whatever their local uh, church gathering is, is pretty extensive. So on Saturday, the Sabbath, you, you must gather or you're you're going to hell if you don't attend. OK, this is a big deal. And you are there from, say, 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. perhaps if you're not a leader. But if you're one who has blessings or responsibilities, you might be there from like 730 a.m. till midnight. I mean, that's and this is a big deal that you stay in the physical building during this time. Um, if you, you if one former member told a story how they were chopping onions. And the smell was making them cry. So she, so her and her friend left the building and stood right outside the front door. And the one who the deaconess who was chopping the the onions, she went to the edge of the door and pleaded with them, come inside, come inside. You're in danger. Come inside. Wow. Mm. Right. That's that's a not a good environment to be in. It's real fear. Um, on Sundays, you think Sundays must be a day off. No, Sunday, you're there from like 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. as well. All day. You have third day service. That's t- you have Tuesdays at the Zion. You're supposed to be there every Tuesday as well. Um, you're preaching three to four days a week. One of the that's where you go out and you're you, you meet at the church and you go out and you preach and you get your training. You're supposed to study every day the different texts and the truth books and the and the, the preaching skills that you're supposed to develop, like what verses to use, that kind of thing. Uh, one evening uh, a week is the Elohist Academy at Zion where you're getting that kind of training. Basically, every day of the week, you're you're supposed to go to the church after work, go preach and then go back to church. That's the regular week. You're supposed to study every day for a couple hours, one or two hours. And during feast weeks, because they, they say they observe the seven feasts, but they don't do anything biblical on those days for the most part. They just go to the church. and But they have to be there on during those feast days, feast weeks, at 5 a.m. and at 8 p.m. Those are two appointed times they have to show up at their uh, at their Zion. There's there's more, though. That's just time. Um, there's arranged marriages in the church. I know mm. this sounds weird, but there really are arranging marriages a lot in the church. It's like a really highly reported phenomenon. And there's there you're not like... You know, you can't force someone to get married, like not actually, right? But you can give them social consequences if they turn down your arranged marriage. And that's a really bad thing. When you spend every day, every waking moment, you're not, you know, at work, but pretty much in in this group and part of this group and at this Zion location, the worst, and let me give you a quote from a former member. She said, the worst position to be in in the church of God is when nobody rebukes you and they just leave you alone. This is devastating to a member. They've wrapped their whole life around the group. And they're put in a place where they spend like 14 hours sitting alone at the Zion because nobody will talk to them. Wow. Because mm-hmm. they're giving them potentially this type of discipline. Um, for money, money manipulation, uh, you're supposed to tie 10% to, as a starting point on everything. And this is on income and gifts. So here's a quote from a former member. She said, if my parents bought me a car, I would be expected to find out the value they paid for that car and to give 10% of that to the church. 
Now, this tithing is enforced. If you miss two weeks in a row, they will know because every other week you have to tithe at least every other week. Otherwise, you, you are no longer in good standing spiritually. You have to tithe for three months in order to join classes that will allow you to learn how to preach. You have to tithe for a year in order to meet God the mother if you want to go to Korea and meet the 76, 77-year-old woman, Zeng Gilja. Although they never use her name. Most members don't hear her name. Um, you have to tithe in most of the fellowships. You have to tithe for six months in order to get the green book. That's right. Six months of tithing just to buy the green book. So that's part of the control. But there's more. Let me <laughs> I'm giving you a lot, but there's more. There's it's, it's widely reported that the church group encourages abortions. Abortions. And they and here's a quote from a church member who she says, this is what we say to each other. They say, we are living in the last days. You should be focused on the gospel work, not on a child that it's actually selfish of you to bring a child because they think the end is in coming imminently. You know, they've predicted it multiple times over the years. They think it's coming at any point. There's actually a woman right now who's suing the church, Michelle Rodriguez. She's currently suing the church for coercing her to get an abortion. And wow. that lawsuit is, is in court right now, or so I've been told. Um, so that's just the behavioral control. That's just the B of your bite model mm -hmm. <laughs> that's going on there. It's pretty extreme. Yeah. And, the, and then you mentioned too, obviously information control, as you said before, just with them not allowing their members to, or buying up the books, for example, they go for sale. Let's do like a, almost like you, like you said, you, you're in California, you know, they do the gun buyback programs, right? And so trying to, you know, take whenever the, to counteract the violence going on, that's an example mm -hmm. when you have like how liberal governors will deal with just how they view their policy, but then they're trying to do that with their own materials, trying to get that back, not having people yeah. be able to see where it's you know, you should have, like with Christians, you should have your apologetic material out there. Like, critique it. Like, let us know. Let, let's let's do it. It's such a contrast, too, Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. as far as it goes. Andrew, what did you want to say real quickly? Yeah, I was going to say it makes sense, too, with um, how rigid their curriculum is, right? How much they have to do things over and over again. It makes sense that they push abortion, right? Because children will take up your time. Yeah, yeah. You know, they don't want their members to not be focused mainly on them and that and that's what worries me too like it's do you have peace with god like jesus gives us freedom right to be free of such a rigid requirement because he's god himself who fulfilled all of these things for us so if like you're in the wimscog right now and you're listening to this like there there's freedom you can be free from this mm -hmm. test test your prophet to what the scriptures say you know and there there, there's so much better out there for you, and God loves you so much more than that. And mm -hmm. that, that, that's just one thing I'd like to like to say. Like, there's peace with God. Yeah, definitely. Josh, did you have any thoughts so far, just in regards, just like the behavior control or information control that he was talking about? Is like, like anything on your mind as far as that goes? Oh, I mean, I've got some some thoughts uh, as far as questions that we can probably address later as we dive into things a bit more theologically. Right, um, but. One of the things that seems interesting to me is, you know, I was talking to Andrew a bit briefly before this, and they've had previous um, end times prophecies before, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, they have. Yeah. 1988, 1998, 2012. Those are the ones that I'm familiar with. I mean, and, and maybe this is just, a, I mean, this could be a conclusion that's not necessarily correct but i mean could it be that that's part of the reason why they're so heavy on evangelism in a sense because if they can't propagate their religion amongst their children because they're not having any they must have new members in order to actually grow their church from people who are already alive 
makes sense to me. I, I mean, to me, it's it's in a sense like certain. Yeah. Well, they're they're so serious about growing their church through preaching, they call it, um, that this this was a shocker to me. They actually tell people not to evangelize the elderly or handicapped people, that these people are not they they can't be saved, that they sinned deliberately in in their preexistence and therefore they're cursed. That's why they're like that. And, And homosexuals too, not to evangelize them. And they um they just they just cut them off like they're just they're just not to be in fact if you try to invite a handicapped person to a service the other members are going to be like no don't do that don't we don't do that because now if you think about it as imagine if you just had a cold heartless leader who only looks at you at the value you present to the organization of bringing more people in well Mm -hmm. you're a handicapped person like what are you going to do how are you going to help us? They can't even You're fulfill elderly. the requirements. You're not going to be able to do all the preaching that we want you to do and attend all the services. Wow. Right. I mean, to me, that screams the incident where Jesus runs into the man born blind and the disciples ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, neither. I mean, that condemns their thinking right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, on the on the information control stuff, there is something more I'd like to share with you guys sure. if we have time for that here. Yeah. Yeah, I got a couple right. minutes. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So a few things that you want to know. Um, they, they say that the Internet is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that if you go online and you click an anti-church website or you, you search World Mission Society Church of God online, you will be eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I don't I don't want you to miss out on the psychological baggage that that brings. Right. That even researching on your own church, your cult group that you're part of, that even just researching it is like a life, eternal life destroying sin. Mm hmm. That's pretty significant. Yeah. You also can't buy their books. As I've said, the books that I've got, I, I got through means and ways, but uh, but you can't really buy them online. Um, even members have to earn the right to buy the books. But some of the books, they can't buy at all. Some stuff that An Song Hong wrote, they can't get. But I want to add this. They also edit the book. So this book, The Green Book, it's got 35 chapters. Mm-hmm. The original book by An Song Hong has 38 chapters. Mm-hmm. And you can read it, and I'll give you guys the link. You can put it in your your video description or whatever. This actually has the 38 chapter version in English and Korean on their website on the uh, New Covenant Passover, the split off group. Mm-hmm. In those chapters, it's not that hard to figure out why they removed them. Two of them in particular. The first chapter was called the was was uh, about the end of the world in 1988. Let me just read to you. This is a quote from page 14 of the original On Song Hong Green Book, chapter one, the original chapter one. He says, since the Israel nation came into independence in 1948. It makes 1988 40 years after. Will the world really come to an end at that time? And then he goes on and says, it will surely come to an end at that time. Now, the other chapter, one of the other chapters they deleted is chapter 36 called Elijah will be sent. Now, this is really significant because An Sung Hong was like obsessed with this prophecy about Elijah coming. But the World Mission Society Church of God, they will not talk about Elijah. You go to their website, you search Elijah, you look for Elijah on their material, you can't find it. They deleted the chapter about Elijah, but here's what An Song Hong actually wrote. Page 220, he said, Therefore, as John the Baptist was sent by Elijah's calling to prepare the way for the first coming of Jesus, he sent Elijah to prepare the way of Jesus' return, who would guide starving and struggling people to the fountain of life by the truth. He goes on to talk about how uh, we'll know it's Elijah because he'll bring the Passover. He'll restore Passover, which is what An Song Hong did. Here he's implying that he's Elijah, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then on page 223, he says this. Remember, he said 1988, the end, of the, the end of the world. Well, on page 223, he says, because the first actual Elijah had ascended when he was alive, 2 Kings 2.11, mm-hmm. 
the last Elijah's mission is to transform and ascend while he is alive. The last Elijah's mission is to transform and ascend along with the live 144,000 saints. Wow. So you can see why they had to delete this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because it's a prophecy about him and his followers ascending in 1988. Mm-hmm. And so they just delete those things. Now, there's other places where they make changes. I won't get into all the details for the sake of time, but they change things like the tents where um, An Song Hong is writing about Jesus will come and they'll change the tents so it says Jesus has come. Mm-hmm. And they do that as well. That's in, on page 124 of, of their version um, of the book. So you might ask, though, well, which one's original? Maybe maybe the World Mission Society has the real one and the New Covenant Passover Church, they have the fake versions. Mm-hmm. But, but here's the trippy thing. The World Mission Society is like the most litigious cult I've ever seen. They sue everybody for everything. And the New Covenant Passover, they're just putting these books out for free online for everybody. Hmm. The World Mission Society has a copyright to some later version of the book. If they own the books, can't they just sue the New Covenant Passover and have them take the books down? I mean, they certainly would like to, but they they, they can't because they are just the real books as they originally were. Hmm. Oh, that's huge, man. That's that's really good. And again, this is just another example of what you see. And really, this is a, really one of the ways to really deal with the cults in many ways is one to almost use their own history and materials against them. Like Walter Martin gives the gives the illustration about when after David hit Goliath with his, uh, his slingshot and his how many how many smooth stones did he have five five yeah. okay yeah. Yeah. you said I asked the same guy <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but yeah but one of the things he said he did one of the things that David did is he took Goliath's own sword yep. and chopped off his head yeah, so in the in the same sense um and then this is metaphorically we're not implying violence in any way here so just just i want any any like members they get all worked up about that but it's like you're using their own materials against them and you're essentially in a very metaphorical sense you're allowing them to fall on their own sword because they're all that doesn't hold up to they're they're claiming the authority of mm-hmm. on song hong for example but again when you start delving to the theology their current assumptions contradict the previous, the original materials to which they're appealing authority to. And you see that too in Mormonism. Yeah. A lot of times when we'd go out to the Mormon temple, we would have photocopies of a lot of their original documents of writings of Joseph Smith or of Brigham Young. And they would say, like, there's a book. We actually have this uh, book called Where Does It Say That? Because mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. you would quote something from Joseph Smith or Brigham Young and they would say, where does it say that? Where does like, it say oh, that? <laughs> I have book. a book called Where Does It Say That? What a, yep. How convenient. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's and the reason you had to bring that book to the Mormons is the same reason I'm bringing this content to this video yes. and this podcast is because. I'm not just doing this for Christians who are curious about another cult. I want the members of the group to be influenced. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to influence them, we should meet them where they're at and show them even in their own writings, even in their own literature, how they've been deceived. They're, they're, they're the victims of a, of a horrible deceit. And mm-hmm. I want them to realize that and using their own stuff uh, meets them where they're at. Right. And I, and I want to I want to point out to you, if anyone's listening and you've, you've still hung in there and you're part of uh, the World Mission Society Church of God, when we bring up a false prophecy, there's a reason why. And you may have never heard of this passage of Scripture. There's two tests of a prophet in Scripture. There's Deuteronomy 13 and then Deuteronomy 18. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 20 through 22 says, as it says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And it says, and if you say in your heart, how may we know the Lord? 
the word that the Lord has not spoken. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. That may be the first time you've ever heard that passage in your life. Mm -hmm. So look at your own source material, like uh, Pastor Mike said, like we're saying here. Mm -hmm. Has your has your prophet spoken presumptuously? Do you not have peace with God? Is there a reason for that? T mm. Test him to scripture. You can have peace with God today by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the eternal God who died on the on the cross for your sins. Yes, absolutely. And one last thing, uh, uh, Josh. One last uh, thought, and then we'll wrap things up here. What, what, what was the thing that was on your mind? Well, what I what I noticed is that you know when you're talking about the the inconsistency and the changes that occur, you know, from the original to what's out now and how many members don't realize this, or some may, may realize it as they stumble across this information. What's interesting to me is that shows the amazing continuity in scripture Amen. that is found in no other religion. Every other religion, especially when they start trying to add to the Bible by, in their corpus of Scripture, there's always contradiction problems, not so with the Bible. That speaks to the supernatural nature <laughs> of Scripture Love it. and the uh, human origin of everything else. Amen. Very yeah. good. Very you know, well hey, said. Let me, let me throw this out there real quick because yeah. I forgot to say it earlier. For sure. Um, if you're a former member, you're listening to this, and you, and you have got these resources and the books and materials, please send them to me at P.O. Box 39, Bellflower, California, 90707. And I will be – or you can contact me through my website, BibleThinker.org. I'll pay for the shipping. That's fine. I, I want to collect these resources so we can continue to produce content to help people out who have been where you've been. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So uh, we've gone a little bit, and this is sort of a good introduction to the World Mission Society Church of God. I believe in the next segment, we are going to uh, continue our conversation with Mike Winger. Uh, we're going to be kind of talking about some of the kind of the nitty, kind of like the nuts and bolts and the nitty, nitty gritty when it comes to the theology and the presumptions that someone has if you're at it, if you're going to one of those essential business places like Target or Walmart or those, and you're going there and you run into uh, them. I'd, if they're doing, if they're selling good evangelism right now, given current circumstances, but they're whatever they're doing, you're going to run into them. Like, what are the what are what are the things that they bring up? What are their presumptions? How do we actually answer them? How? And this is almost an example too. When you're talking to a cultist, there's things you have to take into account about what the mindset of someone is who's into a cult like that. What's their mindset? How do you approach them? What's the way for them to lower down their defenses? These are the things you got to take into consideration. When you're talking to a cultist, we're going to kind of jump into that in the next episode. I'm glad you brought your Bible with you. It's very important because the average well-trained cultist can take the average Christian and with a copy of the Bible, twist you into a doctrinal pretzel. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Cultish, Entering the Kingdom of the Cults. My name is Jeremiah Roberts. I am one of the co-hosts here. I'm always joined and by my trusted side. Andrew the Super Sleuth, the Super Sleuth of the show. You're sleuthing a little bit in the last episode. You're here to sleuth again and talk. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, and that, that's a real doctrinal pretzel he's Walter Martin's referring to there. I've been there. I've, yep. been, I've been in that life. Yes, we all have been in doctrinal pretzels, and we were talking a little bit a little bit of that in the last episode. Uh, Josh, uh, you were with us once again. How are you doing, man? Doing pretty well. Ready for round two. Awesome. And uh, we are once here once again with Mike Winger. You can check out all of his stuff over at Bible Thinker on his YouTube channel. Mike, how are you doing, man? 
Doing great, man. I'm glad to be uh, doing this with you guys. I thank you for having me come on and helping to spread awareness about this particular cult group, which is uh, not enough awareness mm-hmm. out there about this this group. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I'm really glad that we can we are kind of able to do this joint venture here because there's a lot of people who listen to us. There's a lot of people who follow you. And, you know, we quoted right here uh, Walter Martin, and he were really heavily influenced. This really, this ministry, this podcast was a direct result of both uh, Jeff Durbin and I really kind of being impacted uh, as young men. And we've just, a lot of what he did, we were really impacted by. One of the things he did was is that he had his ministry based out of California when he was the Bible Answer Man, and he had the Christian Research Institute one of the things he tried to really do to really combat the cults is really reach out to fellow Christians, even while they wouldn't uh, had they would see Nazi IDI and some of the in-house discussions. He wanted them unified on the essentials because they realized that we have bigger fish to fry right now. Amen. And the bigger fish to fry in his time was the world, the kingdom of the cults. And that's why we're, we can really, we're really glad to have you on because I know you have the same heart as us. We want to look at a cult like the World Mission Society Church and God, which in many levels is still in its infancy and ha- and didn't and now we have the ability to combat it, you know, and that's what Christians need. We need to be able to join together. So yeah. um now's the time. Yes, absolutely. So it's interesting too, he mentioned about people cultists taking a Christian and twisting in them into a doctrinal pretzel. And that's how you got involved with this because you had you said you had two of your students or people mm-hmm. from your church and they were kind of thrown off by these people who were addressing them. Um, and so, but here we are, here we are talking about them. So in the last episode, we wrapped up and we were talking about uh, the bite model, right? And so in this episode, we're kind of focusing more on engaging these uh, these members. So if you're at a, a mall or wherever, or an essential business, given current circumstances, whether it's a Target or Walmart, you might. There's a chance you might run into them again. I don't know exactly if they've made any changes with their evangelism, given current circumstances. I know things have changed within the LDS Church, and even you don't really see too many Jehovah's Witnesses in their booths or anything. They're not necessarily going door to door anymore, at least as of right now. Um, but yeah, so you're talking about uh, thought control and emotional control in regards to uh, the membership. So can you kind of emphasize? Uh, the things you want to mention regarding those two character, those two cultish characteristics of the bite model. Yeah. And this is not only to say like reinforce the claim that this is actually a cult group. This is also to create, uh, I think soft hearts on our part Absolutely. that when we see members, our hearts break for them and we care for them and we don't see them as someone to combat, but as someone to rescue. And Amen. that, that should be our heart and attitude towards them. And uh, when it comes to like emotional control, um, the members of the of the World Mission Society Church of God are told that they are basically in immediate, great and immediate danger at any time that they step out of line with what the church wants them to do, whether this is regular attendance or giving, you know, financially um, being part of their group is hugely important. And you're in great and immediate danger if you don't. There isn't any like security in the salvation that they preach. They and on top of this, you have to believe in like their secret knowledge and their secret revelations of of from God. But in part of their thought control or their information control, they they keep back large amounts of their teachings from new members. So, in fact, new members, uh, if you meet them, they will give you a slew of verses to turn you into a doctrinal pretzel. And they will immediately invite you to come to their church Hmm. where they will put you through hours of lessons 
They will also immediately that very day ask you to get baptized. There's a good chance if you say yes to that baptism that the first time you hear the name An Song Hong is while you're being baptized in his name. Right. This is just they delay information as much as they can. Now, one of the effects of this is that you you have a dependency on the group, not just on the doctrines, because, you know, there's things you don't know that are secret information the group has. So you need the group. You need constant access to them because they have to feed you this stuff piecemeal. And in addition to this, there's things like thought control where you have to, like, pretend to be happy. Um, you, you're not even supposed to think a complaining thought. This hmm. is something that they're told. Mother knows. Mother knows their thoughts. And they shouldn't think a complaining thought. Although if they visit her, they have to wear name tags so she'll know their names. Mm-hmm. They, they have about 50 or 60 studies that are sort of uh, prepackaged studies that they go over. And they go over these again and again and again. So I asked one former member, I said, at what point in your, in your 10 years of membership did you stop learning new things? And she said six months to one year in, she never learned a new thing. Because you just keep going over the same material over and over and over again, which is interesting. Uh, now, you still don't know everything. And you still have answered questions where they say, all will be revealed, sister. All will be revealed, brother. But their interpretations are off the wall, so it's impossible to predict how they're going to interpret a verse of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So you can't just go to the Bible and study it. That's not really helpful. You need the group to tell you what to do with the different verses. So th- these are just different ways in which they um, they they cause you to depend on them, cause you to to feel as though even your very thoughts and your behaviors throughout the week are, it just creates a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine thinking that if you step outside the building on Sunday that you, or a Saturday that you might be in danger. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. this is, this is a lot of control. Mm, definitely. And in fact, you mentioned that uh, you have to be uh, happy all the time. You can never really act like as, as if anything is wrong. It reminds me, we had an episode about a year ago. We had a guy, another guy who uh, goes to Apology at Church, his name's Clay, uh, former Jehovah's Witness. And and I don't know if, you, if you're if you aware of this, Mike, but um, and, and this might be part and partial to, uh, uh, there might be a similarity to the World Mission Society Church of God, but he said uh, specifically within him, he became an alcoholic while he was in the Watchtower just because you had no way, you could never talk about your problems because you always had to act like something, everything was fine because as soon as you admit that I'm broken or I've got this issue, I need help with it. Something's wrong with you. Maybe there's some sort of secret sin you haven't confessed. So a lot of times when people would confess when they're broken would lead to them being disfellowship. So people were caught in a rock on a hard place. What do you try and do? You, you try and drown those things. You can't unload those to your hierarchy or your elders, so you go to the bottle, right? Mm. So yeah, Mike, basically what I was saying too is that I don't know if there's a parallel between, there might be a similarity too between the World Mission Society, Church of God, and their members, where if there's no place to confess or really to, to really show your brokenness, because we're all made the image of God, and everyone has everyone's a sinner, everyone has their guilt, the question is, what do you do with it? But if you're not in an environment where you can really truly have a mediator where you can confess your sins to, that you have to do something with that. Mm-hmm. Um, with your time with like talking to former members, was there any instances where they're where they're kind of caught in that environment? Like I said, with our interview with Clay, he became an alcoholic, and maybe that was different for a member with former members that you talked with in that regard. Was there any similarity with the people that you talk with? Well, the ones that I talked with, the impression I have is that um, their struggles, their doubts, all that is all entirely private. Mm. And you don't talk about those things. 
if you do ask questions, they're very quickly answered with, you know, hey, all will be revealed, sister. We'll find out when we're in heaven um, you're, or if you're going through a hard time. Uh, what what happens in this very works-based system is that you just start getting treated like a second-class citizen. Mm-hmm. And you can actually be someone who loses their blessings. They call them blessings when they when they give you a job to do for the local church. It's called a blessing. And you can lose those blessings if you show yourself to be one of these problematic people, problem-ridden people. Mm-hmm. And so then you can attend stuff, but nobody will invest time in you. Nobody will actually really you're, – you're a second-class citizen. Yeah. And so there's a lot of motivation to just bottle up and hide anything that might be wrong and not actually seek help because it, it, it goes ugly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's no, – it's, it's very, very true. In fact, um, so one of the things I want to mention too when I talk when it comes to talking with a with a cultist, it's just to take into account is that again we're embracing this from like what does the Bible say about us, like who we are as human beings. We're made one. We're made in the image of God, so we're mm-hmm. talking about us being the Imago Dei. But also we have to take into account what is what is the nature of the world in regards to the spiritual realm, right? So it's not just there's psychological things going on for sure when it comes to the bite model, the behavior control, the information control, thought control, emotional control. But there's also, there's a spiritual battle. You know, in Ephesians 6, it talks about our battles not against flesh and blood, but against wars, powers, and principalities. And also talks about how, I believe in it, it's in Corinthians, it talks about how the God of this world has blinded those from seeing the lie of the gospel, the glory of Christ. So in a sense, like I said, you're not trying to combat them but you're trying to deal with people who have been blinded spiritually. Mm-hmm. And what we're dealing with is that while well, they've been trained to use the Bible in different areas and, and take it out of context and almost sort of uh, weaponize it in an improper way, the Bible mm-hmm. does say that the Word of God is like a living and active sword. The Word of God is, like a, uh, is a living and active sword, uh, and it's able to cut to the joint even is able to cut to the to the almost to the marrow bone go ahead do you have the verse in front of you oh no i don't have the verse in front of you oh, okay. but it, yeah it ju- cuts through <laughs> you know the marrow to, say. to separate uh the, pretty much the, the, the soul really it cuts yeah. to the soul sharper than any two-edged sword yeah. yeah word of god's like a sword and it's able and it's able to see even the thoughts and the intentions of the heart so mm-hmm. that's what you're dealing with and when you're talking to someone from this cult or anyone you're dealing with the spiritual battles what i was trying to say mm-hmm. so um I want to just jump into, unless you have any thoughts, Mike, what is, well, I want to kind of jump into when you're in a conversation with them, what are the verses that they kind of bring up and what are the arguments they make? And yeah. And what, what are the ways that you found as far as like the good answers for that? Or even maybe yeah. even talk about the former members because they probably, I know people who former members, they got sometimes when they got challenged with certain things, they kind of thought outside the box. Yeah, yeah. And and let me, uh, before we get into these specific verses, I'll just mention one thing, yeah. which is the way that they're taught to use the Bible. We mentioned this in the last episode, but the way that they're taught to use the Bible is the absolute worst kind of proof texting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you read a verse and you'll even see it in their books. They'll, they'll quote like three or four verses and then they'll just have a summary of their theology, but they're not actually even interpreting the verses. It Interpretation isn't something that actually happens. It's just the use of scriptures to prove a point is not really looking at the context. Now, when you do this over and over and over again, you, this is what I've learned from talking to people is you, you actually get to the point where you just, you can't read the Bible as though you're just reading something to learn from it. You, you look at the Bible as though all it is, is a source of proof texts for already held beliefs. Hmm. And so that you've got to get them out of that mode. I like to look at someone like that and ask them, what do you think the book of Galatians is about? 
or what do you think the book of Hebrews is about? And when they, these are people who say, I know the Bible, I know the Bible. I, I like to ask them, what's Hebrews about? Because uh-huh. frequently that's when they go, oh, I don't know, but I know Hebrews 9.28 is my proof text for this. You know, that's all yeah. they really know. Mm-hmm. And if they would just stop and take the, say, four or five verses that they always use when they go preaching, and they would just take each of those and look at them in context and ask, is this really saying what I think it's saying? They would leave the group just from right. that process alone. It's mm. pretty powerful. So um, when they do approach people, one of the ways that they argue is, is an argument from, uh, from analogy. And so this isn't from the use of scripture, although they will use scripture when they do this. But the argument behind it is just an, an analogy. So they'll say something like, um, you're a son and you have a father, but the fact that you have a father is itself proof that you also have a mother. You have to have a mother because all sons have fathers and mothers because life only comes through mothers. Where there are children, there are always mothers. Therefore, we have a God, the mother. This is one of their standard proofs for the existence of this, this alien deity, mm-hmm. alien to the Bible, alien to Judaism, alien to Christianity, is that, you know, children have mothers. We're children. We have, we have a God, the father. We must have a God, the mother. It's just by analogy, it comes in. Mm-hmm. Now you can, I think the way to argue against this might just be to argue from analogy. Say, okay, let's just take it. Let's be consistent. Don't, don't all mothers also come from another mother? Don't all mothers have a mother? So shouldn't there be a God, the grandmother, a God, the great grandmother? Can't mm-hmm. we just invoke as many gods as we want now at this point? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, children, if we're going to use analogies, children are always the same as their parents. I always bear the same kind of being as I am when I have kids. And if I'm God's child, then I must also be a God. Mm. And God must also be human. Right? Because you're, if we're just making analogies and we're inventing theology, then we may as well just go all, all out with it. Mm-hmm. Now, in Scripture, God doesn't produce us through sexual intercourse. He creates us. His position of fatherhood is not because he created us through sexual intercourse, so there's no mother needed because the sexual thing didn't happen. Okay, so that's why the analogy breaks down. And in scripture, we're adopted. We're his children by, by reason of adoption, not by natural birth. This is why Jesus says you have to be born again. And so the, so the analogy doesn't actually work with scripture and it doesn't work to argue from analogies like that. But here's a really good example of how it, how it comes down in actual conversation. So they'll say, um, and, and I'm going to quote from their, from their websites on this stuff. Okay. This is the verse. It's Matthew six, nine. First, I'll read it. And I want you guys to think how on earth can this teach that there's a God, the mother? Hmm. Here's the verse. I'll read it. Then I'll tell you what they say about it. Yep. So here's the verse. Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the verse. How does that prove God, the mother? Here's what they say. Word for word quote from their sources. It says, Christ showed us to pray to our father in heaven because as children of God, we also have God, the mother. So here a verse that, hmm. that declares that God is our father is being used to prove that there's a whole other deity out there called God the Mother. I think, though, that what gets you is their confidence. They say it with such conviction. Yeah. It's so obvious. Duh. It's confidence. It's, it's like this, this is what popular atheists do. <laughs> this, is, this is why they're popular. They have such an – they exude confidence in their right. skepticisms. And that – when you actually analyze their arguments, they're, they're, they just utterly fall apart. But – the confidence is, is what persuades people. And I think they do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can talk if, if you guys want about some of the other verses. Yeah, well, that's, that's really good. I think, Josh, you had something you want to say real quickly. It's definitely interesting that you bring up the confidence issue because I have heard that before from Christians, right? So whether it's folks in our small group who say, you know, man, my atheist friend just says this with so much confidence, it makes me think 
is is the Bible really true or or is it you know is this guy right that I think that's fascinating especially too like in today's day and age where you've got a whole culture shouting at you certain things about morality whether it's sexuality whether it's abortion or other things that sometimes we can need to like stop and think am I right you know what what is what is the right position on this mm-hmm. and I think Often it's that confidence or that volume that can sometimes mess with our heads. Ooh, yeah. I, I think that's important too. And if anyone who's listening who's pretty familiar with Apologia's content or has watched the atheist debate with uh, Jeff Saiten and there's mm. another man, the word confidence literally means with faith. So if we see someone with extreme amounts of faith, you know, exuberating that, it can be a little challenging to yourself. But then we got to realize, well, what are the presuppositions that they are holding to mm-hmm. that gives them this type of uh, confidence, right? And so in this case, we would say it would not be necessarily the Bible, right? So they're looking at the Bible through a lens with proof texting. The standards that they're using is actual extra biblical uh, lenses through the teachings of uh, Ju Kim Chul and uh, An Song Hong, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ju Chil Kim, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, on, uh, yeah. That's the current, I mean, he's really the driving force as far as the teaching goes in the church now, mm-hmm. Ju Chil Kim. Yeah. Right. And, uh, they one, call him the general pastor. Yeah, and, and one thing I'll say too, like Mike, when you're talking about um, them, like even how you how you bring this stuff up, or how you'd even ask them a question, like outside, like do you know do you know what Galatians about is about? So that's a good that's a good example of one of, one of a good way to even talk to a cultist, and this would apply to whoever you talk to, whether it's someone uh, whether you're talking to some a pair of missionaries, or you're talking to uh, a Jehovah's Witness, or you're talking with any sort of uh, cultist is that a lot of times they've been indoctrinated. They've gone through this extensive amount of Bible studies, and they're just, they are they automatically go to their go-to versus the things that they've memorized, the proof text. So a lot of times if you just sort of ask them a question that they're kind of not used to, it allows them to, just for a brief moment, almost criti- critically think for a moment outside of the cult mentality so that's one of the things, too, that Stephen Hassan talks about in his book. And again, he kind of takes a Freudian perspective, but I think there's an element of truth in it, where he talks about how a person has their authentic self, but then they're given the cult identity, which sort of suppresses their authentic self-identity. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, though, uh, if you ask them a question like that, a lot, and I've done it, too, when I've talked with them, is that, and Walter Martin would do this, too, where he would bring up a Bible verse, but then have them read the Bible verse and then ask them, so what do you think that means? You know, and, and you get them to think outside of that. Have you noticed that too, Mike? With I know you've done critiques too. you got video content too on Mormonism. I think you did one recently and you've done some stuff on Jehovah's Witnesses. Do you kind of see a similar there yourself? Yeah, I think the, the value is getting people a little bit off script mm-hmm. and where they're actually thinking and they're engaging their minds and they're actually really engaging with scripture or with the theological idea. And so, yeah, asking him questions like that, um, can you show me why, why it means that? Or I try to think of open, not just yes or no questions, like, you know, questions that cause them to have to have critical thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Mike. So we, uh, there's no way we can obviously cover every single little aspect of this cult. Like I said, there's a lot, there's so much to unravel in this and, and even, you know, especially just with all the content we've, I've even, li- we listened to going up to this series, you know, listening to forum members and things like that. And even there's audio I've uh, listened to of a guy, I've, he uploaded it and it was a, 
a conversation that he recorded when he had some people he interacted with at Walmart. And so, um, it, you, but a lot of times you'll, you'll see, these are the kind of the verses that we noticed were kind of brought up consistently, either from former members of when they were taught, this is what this means. And this is the primary verse where they got challenged at, where they came out of the cult, but also people who were encountering them, like I said, at a Walmart, at a Target, at a, at a shopping mall or whatnot. And so, you already gave some examples, too, of how they took a father who art in heaven, how they completely turned that upside down. So here's a verse that uh, we made note of, and you did it too, Mike. Uh, Genesis one twenty six, very Very simple. Let us make man in our image. From the point of a, how does someone, a uh, member of the World Mission Society, Church of God, how do they interpret that? How do they see that? And how, from your perspective, you see a good way to bring really almost refute or just challenge that or how would you get a member to think outside the box in regards to the context of this verse yeah so what what we uh they'll say it's something like this you know the the bible says let us make man in our image and then god made us male and female because we're both in god's image the the male image the father and the female image mother god and so there's now here's the first thing you want to notice is they took the word us let us make man and they said that's two different gods god the father god the mother but they also took the word image and they made it into two images. So the, it, it should say, let us make mankind in our images. Right. Right. But <laughs> they've also ignored the next verse, which says, so God created mankind in his own image. Mm. In the image, singular, of God, he, singular and masculine, created them. Male and female, he, masculine, singular, created them. So the male and female are made in whose image? The, the, the image of God who is he, mm -hmm. who is singular and he. So the, the the thing is, this is a puzzling verse for a lot of people. It's a really interesting verse. Why is it we? Why is Genesis one twenty six say we? And there's a few options people throw out there. I lean towards the Trinitarian view, even though some people think that's silly. I think that, that there's good grounding for that view. Um, others say, well, it's just a majestic thing. God speaking says we because he's being majestic. It's like speaking of the majesty of God and the glory of God. Mm -hmm. um, others think he's talking to angels. And I don't, I don't think that that's accurate either. But you know what nobody thinks? Nobody in church history or of... of you know, until An Sung Hong came around, as far as I know, really, actually, not even him. It's uh, Ju Chil Kim. Until he came around, <laughs> nobody thought this was about God the Mother. Like mm -hmm. this is like definitely forced upon the text. Right. There's one image, two genders that are in one image because the gender of man and 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 woman. That's not the image of God. Mm -hmm. The image of God isn't gender. I mean, animals are gendered and they're not in God's image. Right? They're male and female. No, no, because our imageness isn't about just our gender. That's not mm -hmm. the nature of the image. Yeah. Yeah. And even how they would come about this interpretation would be not that they spend an exhaustive amount of time in, in really kind of digging out this passage and trying to interpret to the best of their ability and saying, okay, I think this, this kind of sums up what this uh, person is saying about God, the mother. And this, this makes sense because they're kind they're almost sort of holding them to this uh, upheld standard, but instead it was, uh, it would have been on Sung Hong or, who made this assumption about the text and came along and said, okay, this is who it is. And so people are saying, oh, this authoritarian person says, this is how it is because I said so, therefore I believe it. Right. Not necessarily examining it critically. And you'll, and you'll, again, you'll see this a lot, uh, regardless of what, the, uh, regardless of what the cult is, they have, mm -hmm. they'll come up with their own authoritarian revelation, whether they either make it up, conjure it up themselves, or possibly uh, they may have had some sort of, revelation that's not of God, which is the Bible talks about that. That could be the case too. But the reality is that they, that the cultist 
they're not really analyzing it critically because they're saying, oh, it's from if this, this is via private revelation. This is how it must be because they said so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and verse, they move away from this verse as fast as possible, right? They, mm-hmm. they quote the verse. They tell you, oh, it's because of God the mother, and then they move on to another verse. Yeah. But let me let me share with you, too. They, they think Elohim here, the, the Hebrew word, is referring to uh, lots of or plural gods, two gods, God the Father, God the Mother. Um, and Elohim is a word that's in plural. But in Hebrew, it's all it's you know, when we're talking about God, it's it uses singular verbs and singular adjectives. Mm-hmm. And here's something we're not used to in English. But basically, that means that there's only one Elohim right here yeah. in, in, in the context of God. There's right. only one God. But we can support this. Even if you don't know Hebrew, we can support this with lots of scripture. Malachi 2.10, it says, did not one God create us? Mm-hmm. One God, one yeah. Elohim, singular. So Elohim is like a, a name for God that's it is it is majestic, but it's only talking about one God. Also, uh, let me see, First uh, Corinthians 8, 6, there is but one God. First Chronicles 17, 20, and you should write these down if you want to have these ready for people when you talk to them. First Chronicles 17, 20, it says, there is no one like you, O Lord, and there is no God but you. Deuteronomy 32, 39, see now that I myself am he, and there is no God besides me. Mm. There isn't anyone else. Isaiah 44, 6 and 7, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Mother God apparently is like him in their theology, but not according to scripture. Isaiah 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Isaiah 45, 14, surely God is with you and there is no other. There is no other God. Isaiah 46, 9, I'm God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And I can go on and on and on. We could do an hour on just this topic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. And one thing I want to address, too, in regards to these verses, too, because, again, we're talking about uh, analyzing, you know, these are the verses, this is how you you respond. But jumping back into the mind of occultists, and uh, in this specific example, we would talk about the World Mission Society Church of God. So a lot of times what will end up happening, and this has to do with kind of the psychological characteristic and traits, not only of a cult, but also of their members, is that many times they'll have somewhat of what I would call a siege mentality, where... Uh, if you're talking with them, they're almost taught that any sort of um, critical na- analysis or opposition to the way they see things is at some level, uh, some sort of unwarranted persecution. So mm-hmm. it's very easy to get your uh, defense for them to get their defenses set up and completely shut down whatever you're trying to say to them, and then automatically, and then automatically go to whatever almost they're programmed to. To talk about, so I know that uh, uh, one of the things that is, it's always good to do, and I found in my experience, and uh, you'll jump in this a second. I think Josh had a question here, but um, is to almost like I said, ask questions, but not if you're bringing out a doctrinal point, is that not mu- as much like make an accusation because if you kind of like it'll come across like you're sticking your finger in their chest, but it's almost I would say almost come across like you're asking for clarification on something as you're bringing it up, that tends to lower down their defenses. Mm-hmm. And also, yes. too, when you talk with them, show that you genuinely care for them because you should. Because if, you, if you're not caring for them, I've been on the bad side of this. I had times when I was younger where I just wanted to get my talking points across and I had my Bible trivia out there and I sliced, you know, Mormonism to little bits, for example. But, you know, I didn't really have a lot of love for that person. I won the argument, but... What good is that if you don't care for them? Like Paul says, if I don't have love, a prophet's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, Amen. Yeah. 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 Like a great way to do it is you could say, take the list of scriptures I gave you and say, can I read some verses to you and ask you what you think they mean? Mm. 
Um, and then you just read through them and say, can you explain that to me? Um, and then that, that's a way to keep that conversation going. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Josh, what did you want to ask or what were your thoughts on what we're, what we're talking about right now? Well, one of the things that I was thinking about, um, as Jerry mentioned, the defenses coming up, you know, one, one of the things that I've noticed in, in interactions with say Mormons is that you hit them with a particularly difficult doctrinal question or, you know, you're saying, Oh, I, you answer their um, misinterpretation of scripture and they say, well, I've prayed about it and I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet from God and they basically just recite their testimony. Mm-hmm. In the communication that you've had with former members as well as the research that you've had, do they have one of those kinds of fallbacks when they don't know what to do with your attack? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing that's drilled into them is, hey, all will be revealed all will be revealed and they'll say, come to Zion, you know, come with me and, and, you know, ask your questions. But one of the, the, the constant fallbacks, if you ask a question and there isn't a ready answer is that we'll find out when we're in heaven or all will be revealed sister, just keep studying, keep studying. And so they'll, they'll just, they'll just say that and move on to the next point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, um, one other thing too, I guess on, on the next topic is that you had talked about, and I saw this as a bullet point here, and maybe you can emphasize this. I'm really intrigued by this. It's a prophecy of the 40 years of David. What could you tell us about that? Yeah, this was something I was contacted by a former member who they really liked my videos and they'd seen all my three videos I did on this topic. And they were like, but can you explain the prophecy of David, the 40 years of David? And I thought, what are you talking about? Like, and um, I might have read it in their material and just thought it was weird and didn't think much about it or something. But it's actually a really important issue for them. It's drilled into the Church of God members that there's a prophecy that David, he reigned for 40 years. Mm. In his 40-year reign was three years in uh, Hebron and then – or excuse me, for his seven years in Hebron and then 33 years uh, over all of Israel. So he had totally – 40 years of reign. Mm-hmm. They say that Jesus, because he's like David, he has to reign for 40 years as well. Right. But they say Jesus only had a three-year ministry from his baptism to his death. So there's still 37 years left for Jesus to reign on earth as king before the final, the end of all things mm-hmm. happens. And so they are looking for somebody who is the second coming Christ. In their case, they believe on Song Hong, right? Mm-hmm. Who has reigned for 37 years as king. This is considered a very powerful and very good reason to uh, be a believer in An Song Hong. They say ba- he was baptized in 1948 and he restored Passover, the, the gospel, which to them is the gospel. And for 37 years, he preached Passover until he died in 1985. So 1948 to 1985, there's the 37 years An Song Hong fulfilled it. So they say he, he must be... Um, he must be the one who fulfilled the, the 37 years of Messiah. There's a lot of problems with this, um, but let me break them down for those who are listening, especially if you're a member, you need to think about these things and please consider this. In the dates and times that are given by the church of God, it was actually 36 years, two months, nine days. That would be how long from the baptism of An Sung Hong until his death. It's not quite 37 years. Um, also, there's other problems. It doesn't look like he was actually baptized in 1948. According to SDA records, Seventh-day Adventist records, which I'll give you guys a link as well for this. You can put it in your show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's photographs of the actual book where it records his baptism in 1954 and gives the name of the pastor who did it. He was actually expelled from the SDA church in 1962. So the years don't work anymore. Right? If he was baptized in 1954, then he doesn't have 37 years. Well, there's another problem. Um, An Sung Hong and his teaching about Passover would be rejected by the SDA. 
they didn't believe this stuff about Passover. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't baptize a man who was going around preaching that if you didn't do his version of Passover on his special day and time, you were going to go to hell. Mm -hmm. Like the SDA wouldn't even baptize this guy. Right. The fact that he was baptized in the SDA in, in 54 and he was kicked out in 62 means he wasn't preaching his Passover stuff till at least 1962. Mm -hmm. So he can't have done the 37 years. And this may not seem important to those of us who aren't part of the group, but I mean, this is a really big deal. Right. This is a huge deal to them. Mm -hmm. So I think it's worth us spending a little bit of time on it. Um, he actually started his church, his own church, didn't start till 1964. So he doesn't have anywhere near 37 years going for his supposed reign, although that's not really a reign, is it? Mm -mm. You're just preaching. You're not, you're not reigning or something. Also, a bigger, a bigger problem is there is no prophecy that Jesus will fulfill 37 more years. There's no verse in the Bible. When I was asked about this, I, I asked the lady who reached out to me and I was like, show me what verses they use to support this prophecy. And there is no Bible verse about it. They just go, look, it says Hebrew, it says in the Old Testament, David reigned for this long. That's it. That's all. That's the whole prophecy. So there's, it's just not a prophecy. There's no verse for it. Show me in scripture where this is prophecy. Also, Jesus, his reign is not for 40 years. In scripture, his reign is forever. Amen. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. In Isaiah 9, it says, the, of the increase in his, of his government and peace, there shall be no end yep. on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and for 40 years. No, like forevermore. It says forevermore. Mm -hmm. He will always reign. And so I would, I would share with them Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 and say, look, it says here that Jesus will reign forever not for 37 years. Right. Like this is the difference between D David and Jesus. He's a, he's the eternal king. He's the king of kings and here's another issue. They think that Jesus reigned for 3 years in his earthly ministry and then stopped reigning. Right? So he has 37 years left cuz he stopped reigning. But when did Jesus stop being the king? Revelation 1:5, it tells us that uh, Jesus who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. A revelation written years and years and years after, certainly you know, probably at least 40 years after the death of Christ. And mm -hmm. he's still reigning as king. Right. So um, everything about that prophecy falls apart. And it's worth talking about because mm -hmm. it's had such a, a grip on people's lives in that movement. No, oh, that's really good, man. And especially uh, it's always interesting to see kind of when you like the eschatological cults and even how their eschatology, whether it's a dominion, sort of a dominionist uh, themed eschatology or a lot of times a very sort of doomsday uh eschatology scenario have but they always they always sort of spin that into a very unique way so i mean there's within evangelicalism there's a lot of different people who disagree like on the end times for example we have a lot of respect for example for like john MacArthur, and there's a lot that we really appreciate him a lot of things that he's done we don't agree with him eschatologically he's a brother in the lord and so while eschatology is a non-essential issue it is important to get uh, be just at least be wary to the fact that eschatology, the study of, of last things, always has a large, uh, there's always a large emphasis that goes into the playbook of any sort of cult. Um, mm -hmm. As far as, especially as, as a means to recruit, essentially saying that, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. And I'm, I would be curious to know, too, <laughs> what how they're interpreting current events, right? But um, also, I mean, they, they also kind of a lot of times it's almost like a Noah's Ark mentality of... Yeah, the yeah they're, they're waiting on World War III. They think it'll happen at any moment. Nuclear war is the thing that's coming at any moment, and they need to be rescued from that by being yes. one of the one of the group. Exactly, exactly. Josh, you had something you, you, it was on your mind. I, I kind of saw the wheels in your head turning over there. What's going on? Yeah, two tan kind of tangential thoughts here. Um, questions, actually. So uh, if you can answer the first one, and then I've got a follow-up to that. So... 
you said that they claim that he was baptized in 1948, but SDA records show a later date. Do you know when that 1948 date starts showing up? Um, when it was first claimed that I don't know. That's okay. a good question. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they have a claim and they have the name of a pastor who supposedly did the baptism. But in the SDA books where someone actually went to the church in Korea, to the SDA church, took photos of the church, took photo of the book, opened the book, took photos of the pages. It records on Song Hong when he was baptized, the name of the pastor, different name. And when he was excommunicated. Hmm. See, that's interesting to me because the follow up question here. I notice in our notes that we've got on Onsong's history, he was born in 1918. So if he was baptized in 1948 at the age of 30, that is the same age when Jesus was baptized and begins his ministry. Do you think they potentially could have used that as a way to strengthen the connection of him to Christ and say, see, he's the fulfillment, he's the second coming, he's Jesus, he's Christ. Absolutely. They do that. Yes. They, they make a big deal about the fact that he was baptized at the age of 30. It just doesn't seem that it really happened, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Hey, and uh, one other, another question I have for you, Mike, is um, you mentioned earlier about the, uh, how they view the feast and the observance of the feast. And it's one of the things I noticed too, in one of the conversations, Andrew, do you know the name of the guy who like recorded the, he had the interactions of, I, me- I messaged it to you who had talked with members of the World Mission Society, Church of God. They're, the recordings are on YouTube where the guy was a witness oh, to them. Yeah, I think it's like a, I think it's jo- Jordan Young. I think he has his own little YouTube channel where he talks yeah. to, uh, you know, people. And they, I, pretty, almost their whole YouTube channel is actually devoted to yeah. Wumskog research. Yeah, know? and so, but in, yeah, I think that's who that is. But in that conversation, when while he's ta- he has this recording where he's talking to members who, who are evangelizing, who approach him in a Walmart, mm-hmm. The the issue of the feast and observing the feast being essential for salvation. Um, it's just kind of interesting, too, because I think not just within the World Mission Society Church of God, but there's almost this sort of resurgence of kind of like the uh, Hebrew roots elements, where I think when it comes to what role did the feast have and what what was the role of Passover and those sorts of things, I mean, those, I think those are good things to look at. And maybe you could, if you want to do a service where you kind of do one of those and at least to kind of understand and appreciate what people are doing at one time and then have a deeper appreciation, a deeper appreciation of the gospel. That's fine. But I've seen a lot of times, even within Hebrew roots where it becomes sort of this have or have nots where I'm observing these Hebrew elements. Therefore I'm better than you. But specifically with the world mission society church of God is that they're saying, not only is it, am I better than you or I have a special knowledge, which makes me a higher Christian, but you are not saved because you're not observing these. Can you just talk talk about what what does it actually look like them if you're aware of to actually practice those feasts and what are they trying to use to back that up as far as modern day practicing it and as far as being essential for salvation? Yeah, boy, I'm going to try and summarize a large amount of information here. So <laughs> let me just try and because I, I know we don't have a whole lot of time. So yeah, um, quick, you know, quick shot response to this would be. Um, they believe that the the command of Jesus, when he's like, here, I give you my command, my commandment is this. We, we know that that is to love one another, but they say that it means Passover. Mm. And so, you know, his command is Passover. They also think that the gospel itself hinges on Passover. So when they say the gospel, preach the gospel, they mean preach Passover. They think the early church did this and that it was slowly eroded away until the Council of Nicaea, where they said no more Passover. You can't celebrate it on 
Nissan the 14th, you know, at twilight, you can't celebrate it on the special day. And they say that at that point, the gospel was lost from Christianity, period, until On Song Hong showed up. And so there were no Christians, nobody was saved. And um, there's a lot more to it than that. But basically, they think we're the only ones really doing this. Our church is the only church that really has true Passover. And by Passover, they don't mean having communion or remembering the remembrance of Christ, but they mean, right, on twilight, on this one day of the year, coming and doing our specific service. Now, what's weird about this is that, like you said, Hebrew roots groups all over the world celebrate Passover. And many of them do it just because they think they should, not because they think it's going to save them or something like that, right? right like they, right. many of them, I think there's a lot of sincerity and love for Jesus that's there. Mm-hmm. Other ones get weird. And the Hebrew roots people know that within their own camps, there's a lot of troubling issues going on there. But the the New Covenant Passover, excuse me, the uh, World Mission Society, Church of God, the Church of God people are taught that they're the only ones that observe this and that nobody has observed it except for them. But I think throughout the years, there's always been somebody doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, the main point is this, though. In Scripture, we are not commanded to observe the yearly Passover ceremony. Like, as Christians, we're not. Let me read some verses, and this is stuff you'd want to write down, and I would want to say to a, a Church of God person, how do you understand these verses? And please read the whole context when you try to explain them. But Galatians 4, verses 10 and 11, it says, You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Paul was worried that them attaching themselves to the feasts of the Old Testament was a sign that mm-hmm. they had forgotten and gotten away from the grace of Christ and understanding what it meant to be in Christ. In Colossians 2 verses 16 and 17, he says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, mm-hmm. a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, in Jesus, I have If I can give you my theology on this, in Jesus, I am fulfilling all the feasts, all the laws, all the rules, all the things just by being in Christ. Yes. And so then I'm not needing to walk through those things in order to be forgiven because Jesus has walked them all out for me. In Romans 14, verse 5, it says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind, meaning you want to do something special, go ahead, but don't act like this is a law for Christians. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. You, you can do your thing. That's OK. You, like you said, go to the thing and, and enjoy it and benefit from it. Fine. But don't push this on other people. So I think that the rule about Passover is based on um, a lot of pieces of misinformation all pooled together to basically mean in the bottom line, do this our special way at our special time or you're going to hell. And guess what? Nobody else does this except us. Take our word for it. Don't Google it because that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really good. And in fact, one thing I would just say too, and it's on my heart, that if anyone's listening and you're kind of questioning things, and maybe you're you're similar upon this podcast, um, and you're and you're kind of battling back and forth and thinking through, maybe you're being challenged for the very first time of what you've been taught, everything that you've been taught. Maybe you're having second questions about that. I'll just I'll just say this in regards to trying to do all of those things that you've been told to do to earn favor with God. Your conscience bears witness that that's an unbearable burden. Um, so if, I would say, first of all, you need to look to the real Jesus when he says, come to me, all you, he, all of you who are weary laden, and I'll give you rest, right? So it, it says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So just consider that, but also think about this. So you're talking about the law of Moses, that the faith of the, 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 the father of our faith, Abraham, 
Uh, this is what it says in Romans chapter four, and I just want to—I just want you, if you're part of the World Mission Society, Church of God, or or you're just having second questions, just listen to this path, listen to this verse with an open mind. Uh, this is Romans chapter Romans chapter four, where it says, "What shall we? What what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, and not but not before God. For what does the Scripture say?" Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages is not counted as a gift, but that which is due. But the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. So I just want to say there's absolutely nothing that you can do. There's no amount of work, of evangelism, of service to this organization that believes in a different Jesus that can earn you favor with God. You need to let that aside, turn to Christ in repentance and faith, and in exchange for your faith and being broken, that's what that's what Jesus says as far as the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look to Christ, and in him you can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that's the one thing that's different between the world of the kingdom of the cults versus real biblical Christianity, the true gospel, the good news, is that with with cults, it's always do. You constantly have to do, 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 do. And then, and literally, do, do. Righteousness is faithful rags. It is as filthy rags. Mm-hmm. So you think about that too. So it's the difference between trying is, is of doing versus done. Knowing that what Jesus said, when Jesus said, it is finished, looking to him, you can have peace with God. You can let all, you can forsake the teachings of Unsung Hong. You can have rest and righteousness in him. So I just want to, it's on my heart just to put that out there for anyone who ends up listening to this podcast. Um, so Mike, one of the, one of the last verses I want to talk about real quickly is um, we haven't talked about it yet, surprisingly, but this is something that comes up a lot. And I also heard this mentioned in the, both people who are former members and about what they believed but also, this has come up in recordings, and also from I've talked with you, Josh, about this verse too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Galatians four twenty six. But the Jerusalem that is free, she is our mother. So, I'll have you respond to that real quickly, Mike. Uh, this will probably be one of the last things we kind of do in the, in this podcast. We really appreciate you coming on here. It just I want to emphasize that when a cultist sees a verse like this, a lot of times they will see a word that immediately fits their presuppositions and they immediately come to a conclusion that this is what it must mean without any look at the broader context. Mm-hmm. So in here they would see, I'm assuming and you can, you can give me your, you can elaborate on your thoughts here. They would see something like mother and like, Oh, there it is. Ha ha. Got it. That's my, uh, I'm cashing, I'm cashing all, all my chips and here we go. Like, uh, let me go ahead and, uh, we're going to roll with that. So yeah. just uh, kind of give your thoughts on that and, and and then talk about, too, what what would you say? How do you bring up this verse? How, how have you responded to this? Yeah. So um, so we can understand where they're coming from, right? They they read it as though it says, for the Jerusalem, uh, but the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is God the mother. Mm. I mean, that's how they're reading it, right? They're reading Jerusalem that's above is God the mother. That's their conclusion. But it doesn't say that. It says she is our mother. And the question we should ask is, what does he mean by she is our mother? And this is a fantastic example of taking verses out of context. So there's uh, some problems with the interpretation here. And Galatians 4 verse 24, if we back up two verses, we can see some of the problem here. In Galatians 4 24, it says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. 
Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. That's one of the women. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. So here we have to say that if you want to personify Jerusalem as a, as a deity, then you have to personify Sinai because they're both there. But you shouldn't personify either of them because he says it's an allegory. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's making an allegory. This is a, an inconsistent interpretation. There's a Jerusalem on earth. There's a Jerusalem in heaven. The Jerusalem on earth represents the bondage of the law. And the Jerusalem in heaven represents the freedom that there is in Christ. And these cities are mothers in the sense of having citizens, not in the sense of being persons who are deities, who are existing, you know, beyond space and time or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's like Mother Russia. Russia is my mother or something like that, you know, or I might say like California is my mom or something like that because I'm a Californian guy. Right. Uh, Being the citizen of a country gives you certain privileges and being the citizen of Jerusalem on the earth allegorically represents being under the law. Being a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem, the eternal abode of the saved, represents the freedom that there is in Christ. Mm-hmm. But it's a but it's a location here. It's not a person. Um, this is one of their key texts, one of the key, absolute key texts. And it, it's difficult to – all you have to do is get them out of the mode where they're reading – just a key word equals my theology. It has the word Jerusalem. It has the word mother. Therefore, my theology is true. Right. But that's inconsistent for, like I said, a number of reasons. Uh, it's said to be an allegory. You'd also have to make Sinai into who's Sinai. Is there a third God, the mother? Right. <laughs> what is this? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. And also God, the mother is the mother of us all. Right. But apparently this Jerusalem is the mother of only those who are the saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Josh, did you have a uh, question about that real quickly? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's more of a comment that it's, when I had interactions with um, World Mission Society Church of God folks, you know, one of the things that I brought up is, okay, if it's going to be an analogy, it needs to be consistent, right? It's two women, two covenants, two places. You can't have two women, two covenants, one place, one woman. That doesn't fit. It doesn't, it, the, the analogy can't hold up. It's got to be two equal things if you will in order for it to actually make sense otherwise his whole his whole point in verse 24 that this is allegory it falls apart mm-hmm. no, that's yeah. re- no i'm sorry go ahead you- i just said yeah good point that that's okay. it's exactly that the thing is that it's so um it's so unsupported that that we almost are def- and this is a trap we can fall into where we're kind of like trying to defend an alternate interpretation when perhaps what we should say is how on earth do you get a second God out of that passage? Mm-hmm. And and ask that question first and then offer an alternate explanation. Mm. No, that, that's really good. That's really good. So uh, this has been uh, really good. I think, um, you know, this just having you on, Mike, has been fantastic. And I think this is just an example, too, of just the need to be equipped to be able to engage the world of cults. Like, there's... Aside from you, Mike, I mean, most of the answers to uh, the World Mission Society, Church of God, even ex-members, the majority of them ended up becoming atheists or agnostic. And just, I mean, they would talk even about the abuses of, of being taught through a Bible study for a long extended amount of time, but really use that as a tool of indoctrination. You know, it's almost about, you, know, you think about, you know, a couple of years ago, I mean, some of the school shootings that happened, which were horrible and horrific, 
some of the kids out there, they immediately they went at after they they had like they hated guns. They want to go and just just I'm just bring this up. Like they were that was their emphasis. They wanted to demonize the the weapons being used and but they but then they they had that sort of they were angry at that so in the same almost in the same sense they were they had the bible weaponized against them and so they be, then they became atheists or agnostic and that's what you really that's one of the emphasis too um when it comes to the world of cults not only dealing with current cult members is that the majority of ex-cultists which a lot of the content online regarding the world mission society church of god is with ex-cult members who now have com- don't have any religious interest whatsoever because they were abused by it. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's really unfortunate that, and that's that's one of the huge. There's a huge need for a conversation in the points that you have made, Mike, to be able to really show people that one that wasn't God to begin with, but also say that you know there's real hope. There's where there's a way that you can even make an accounting for the fact that you were abused because you're made in the image of God. You're made to be fellowship and relationship with him. And and the Bible says a lot of things about who you are and how you can be made right with God. And it grieves me that someone used God's word in such a way to abuse you when, in fact, it says that in a sense, that the word of God is something that, that is supposed to be bring healing and refreshment to you. Renewing to the mind. Renewing of the mind. Not, yeah. not an abuse or enslavement of the mind, which is what the world of cults always does. Yeah. If, if I could maybe share a, a word for anybody who's in that in that position and yeah. you've been in this cult or in some other cult and now you feel like your only safety is in just cutting off any sort of spiritual commitments in your life and that that's just that's what's going to protect you. And it's almost like someone who's been abused. They've been in say, an abusive relationship. They've come out and they feel the only safe thing to do is to never enter a relationship again. And the thing is, that only means the abuse continues. Because the abuse that hurt you in that relationship is continuing to kill a healthy and proper relationship the same way the lies of the cult are keeping you still from the true God. Mm. And that is just a second tragedy on top of the first one. If you've been in a cult, here's some advice I'd have for you is go back to scripture and reset, start over, read the Bible, starting with the New Testament, read it verse by verse, never read a verse alone, always check the context and just, just Release all the teaching you've had and start fresh with just the scripture, right? No one's there over your shoulder telling you this is I'm the authority that's replacing the cult. I'm the new authority in your life. You're letting the Bible take that place properly as it should. This is a habit you can learn of checking context as you go verse by verse. I also would recommend read a variety of commentaries. Read commentaries that don't even all agree with each other because now what you're doing is you're reading these people as people who are giving you insights and thoughts to consider, not as the new authoritarian person in your life. And what sometimes happens is you, you, you're you so used to this, like, I submit to this authority that you unintentionally think that coming uh, to anybody for insight means you're, you're entering into that same relationship again. So you don't need that. You also, you don't want to isolate. That's a trap. You don't want to isolate and cut off God from your life, but you also don't want to just replace one authoritarian group with another. Instead, you want to go to the Lord. Don't let them get you twice. They deceived you about Jesus the first time and they're continuing to deceive you as they get you so scared that you can't go to God on your own. So the last thing I'd encourage you is to start seeking the Lord in sincere prayer, knowing that God is good and he is the one who can guide you and walk you through all this. Hmm. Awesome. Absolutely. Was there anything uh, anything that you all uh, want to just uh, say real quick before we wrap things up here? I think I think that is solid. I, I would just I want to leave just one 
one uh, verse out there for anyone who may be part of uh, the World Mission Society Church of God. I mean, they may be hearing these things like, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. You know, well, I do believe in Jesus. They can maybe, you know, not necessarily care too much or just get caught up in like the New Jerusalem and Heavenly Mother and things like that. But I just have a warning that's from Paul. It's in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4. He says, um, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you have accepted a different gospel uh, from the one you've accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So we can see with biblical precedent that there are different Jesuses. There are different gospels. So is the Jesus you believe in the Jesus of scripture? And do you have peace with God? That's the question. Mm-hmm. So it's really good, man. It's really good. So, uh, Josh, thanks for coming and hanging out with us, man. You ought to join us again. Mm-hmm. That was, a, yeah. If I could offer a final thought, yep. particularly since, you know, Andrew, you addressed and, and Mike, um, those who might be in the World Mission Society Church of God, um, I'd like to address the Christians out there listening to this podcast. Um, Ephesians 4 in verses. 13 and 14 in particular talk about the importance to become mature so that in verse 14 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human coming cunning by practice craftiness excuse me if i can actually speak today (laughs) in deceitful schemes this connects back to what Dr. Walter Martin was talking about. Don't be turned into a doctrinal pretzel. Learn your faith. Attain maturity. And, you know, that's when you can start, as these folks, like World Mission Society, Church of God, or others, start approaching you. You can start to identify those. And one of the best questions to ask is, what must I do to be saved? Mm. Absolutely. Good way to wrap things up here, man. Uh, Definitely a good point. Um... All right, so Mike, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate uh, you coming on here. Again, if you guys want to check out um, all of other Mike's other content, definitely check him out on his YouTube channel at Bible Thinker. Uh, Mike, was there any last things you want to jump in real quickly, or do you feel like we've covered all the bases? I, I think we have. You know, I have three videos where I go into other details on this stuff. You guys are welcome to check that out. Uh, there's a playlist on my YouTube channel called uh, Help for the Mother God Cult. And so that okay. that may be there for you. And um, and thank you guys for inviting me to come on and talk about this. Because of your invitation, I dug back into the issues. I did lots more hours of research and brought new content. And so mm-hmm. thank you for uh, initiating that. Yeah, and just real quickly, again, yeah. if someone has materials and that they want to forward to you so we can continue this research to help uh, counter this uh, new, this sort of uh, more recently evolving cult. Uh, How can, if they want to get materials forwarded to you, where can they send that to or how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. Now you can go to my website, biblethinker.org and you can check that out there and there's details there, but you can also just send it to PO box 39, Bellflower, California, 90707. And that just address it to me, Mike Winger and I, I'm so grateful for you sending that over, especially if you have old material. Like you got an old copy of the Green Book because they ed- they've edited this thing several times and they collect the copies and take them uh, and destroy them, I guess. But someone's got a copy out there of an old one. That mm-hmm. would be fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I do have a total side question on a total unrelated note, aside from everything you cover, which we really appreciate you coming on. We, when, while, while we were in break, we ran over to into the studio, into the other room to grab something. We noted we actually, the cameras were on. You had left. And so we saw just a preview of your office and the lighting and everything. I noticed a guitar in there. 
Yeah. Are you a musician or someone give is that does someone give it that you as a gift or what's the story behind that? Um, yeah, actually, the guitar was a gift, actually. But uh, but no, yeah, I'm a musician. I've been a worship leader for many years and oh, okay. I don't do it very often anymore, like once a week. Um, but yeah, it's, it's actually up there because I I play guitar so little nowadays that I found if I mounted it on the wall, I was more likely to pick it up than if I kept it in the case. <laughs> okay. And I thought it looked good in the background. So, okay. Yeah. I just thought it was unique, all these different theological books, and I like the lighting you had set up, and then there's a guitar. I'm like, oh, that's kind of yeah. interesting. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I have, I have a rule. Yeah. You shouldn't put an instrument in the background that you don't actually play. That's, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, maybe that's kind of legalistic. But <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Mike, thank you for so much for coming on. Hopefully, we can have you on sometime soon in the near, near future. This has been great. I know a lot of people were not only looking forward to uh, this addressing this cult, but just the fact that we got to kind of join forces uh, today and release yeah. this series. And, and people were even really excited for that when we, when we made the announcement we were doing the episode together. So hopefully we can do something like that in the future. So yeah. if you folks really like this episode, uh, go ahead and leave comments on our social media. Let us know what you thought. And uh, also... Like I said, we have a new uh, after show that Andrew and I will be doing even on this specific cult, uh, this conversation here, called Cultist the Aftermath. So if you go to ApologiaStudios.com, become an all-access member, you can get access not only to our after show, Cultist the Aftermath, but we have a ton of other great resources, great theological training to equip you in many different categories. And so it's definitely worth your while to become an uh, Apology All Access member. And that also helps uh, keep the studio going, which makes Cultish a possibility. Also, uh, Andrew and I are, are making the hustle and effort to do this full time. There's still a lot that we still have a lot going on in between doing Cultish. But our desire is to really to get it where you want to go. We want to be able to do it full time. So we are getting in that direction. But we'd ask that if you want to partner with us to make that a possibility so we can get uh even not even more content there's a lot more you want to do on top of just the podcast but that can only happen with your support so please go to the cultishshow.com you can and you can donate uh, either one time or monthly be in partner with us to help be salt and light to reach the world of the kingdom of the cults and all the other uh, crazy and interesting fringe topics that all go at the end of the day go back to the gospel and the good news of christ so uh, all that being said thank you all so much for listening And uh, we'll talk to you uh, next time on Cultish, where we enter into the kingdom of the cults. Talk to you all soon.